Chris gonna show you a thing or two. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery. It's located in sunny Southern California. It was created by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission to create a treatment center that helps people by use of connection and compassion, not of control. We have friends that go to Oro and get help from Oro. We have people who are at Oro now who are getting help who go there because it's such an amazing place. It is a top-rated treatment center. They deal with addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Fucking sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, and of course my favorite, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. If you're fucked and you don't know where else to go, check out Oro.com or just catch a flight to sunny Southern California and check out Oro. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. Sober Buddy is an app. It's a sober community. It's a sober platform. It is a place you can go in your phone to get help. There are Zooms every week, 12 Zooms a week with really, really great sober people in them run by the sober buddy hosts i run the wednesday zoom at 1 p.m sober buddy has sober challenges it has a sober tracker but it is a group of people that get better with you and help you get better check it out at www.yoursoberbuddy.com it's also available at the app store and the google play store and they do a free trial 30-day free trial or you don't have to spend money if you don't like it Go check it out. We have a lot of fun. It's the Sober Buddy app at YourSoberBuddy.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult, and our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, let Soberlink help you. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify your identity. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and it sends results directly to your specified contacts. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com dopey. And that's enough with the ads. Here's the fucking show. 
where there will be a couple more ads. But here's the show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. I am on Long Island. I'm back. I had one of the greatest adventures of my life going to New Orleans last week. I was hosted by the incomparably wonderful Bill Taylor, who works for the Phoenix app. And real quick, if you don't know what the Phoenix app is... The Phoenix app is run by the Phoenix Foundation. It is a nonprofit that hooks up addicts and alcoholics with good times, be it pickleball, CrossFit, music, art, community. It's the Phoenix. It's free. They go on hikes. They, they put addicts and alcoholics together because they believe activity and sobriety yields longer sobriety. Did I just rhyme sobriety and sobriety? I don't know. The Phoenix is available at the phoenix.org slash movement. And they have programs and gyms and yoga studios all over the arts. And basically you can connect with people who are in recovery, sober, curious, family members. And the only cost of attendance is 48 hours of recovery. That is it. Check them out at the phoenix.org slash find dash a dash class or thephoenix.org slash movement, or probably just thephoenix.org. They had me down to New Orleans, and we did an event together. And you're going to hear a bunch of the event. The event was hosted by Bill Taylor, who I said he works for the Phoenix. He also works with the Trombone Shorty Foundation. He also works with a little bit with the Rex Foundation. He also works a little bit with us. I love Bill. He's a wonderful person. He's a deadhead. He's an alcoholic and a drug addict in recovery. And I met him at Park City. And we had a really good time. We really connected nicely. So he orchestrated this whole thing. So it was, we did a talk that you're going to hear on the show today. And like I told you last week, the, the trombone shorty kids played and Jason Ricci played. And it was a, a great triumph. And I'm super psyched to play um, that talk. But what I got to do the next day was they took me to Jazz Fest. Jeff Goldring, his wife Walton, Felicia, and Chris O'Shea, they all took me to Jazz Fest. They gave me the fucking Grand Marshal Pass. I've never been treated so well. I'm going to go on and on for a second because I've never been treated so well. They, they usher you in. I was in front of the crowd. I saw Steve Miller Band. I saw Robert Plant and Allison Krauss. I saw Taj Mahal. I saw Clarence Frogman Henry. He might have been my favorite, my favorite one. And if you don't know who Clarence Frogman Henry is, I'm going to play a clip of his song. Let's see if I can get it quickly, though. Uh, yeah, there it is. There it is. So that he's it's it's very like overweight guy with no teeth in a wheelchair and he starts playing this and I'm like wait a second that guy sounds like the real guy and it was the real guy the real women who sang going to the chapel and we're gonna get married played and and that's the Dixie Cups and I know like 
I'm old. I like oldies. So to see these people do these songs was just incredible. Taj Mahal, it was pouring rain. Ta- and, when, and when I got outside to see Taj Mahal, the sun came out and he played Cakewalk Into Town, my favorite uh, Taj Mahal song. And I'll put that up on uh, Patreon. We'll, put, we'll, we'll explore the music of Jazz Fest on Patreon. Subscribe to Patreon at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast, and I will play some of the music that we got to see. I was in front of the crowd at the Wu-Tang Clan, and three songs in, Method Man comes out. It was, it was just an amazing experience. I, like I told you last week, I ate the crawfish brains. I ate the crawfish tail. I, I ate uh, Harold Owens, this very, very legendary interventionist, who I also met at Park City and now we're friends, who's on the show this week in the panel, bought me a fried oyster po' boy. I had shrimp and grits. We did it up. It was an amazing time. Gumbo, and I, I mispronounced jambalaya last week as jambalaya that somebody enjoyed pointing out my stupidity. But uh, I, I could not imagine a, a better adventure in New Orleans, and, uh, and everyone made me feel incredibly at home. So I'm very excited to play that panel for you guys. Uh, last week we had a legendary dopey episode with Margaret Cho, with Whitey Tidies, also known as Jeremy Turner. You hear this horrible noise my chair makes? Are you ready? Every time I move, it makes this noise and I re-record. But I'm going to leave that in this time. Anyway, last week, as you guys know, was the Kratom and Boofing Spectacular, and we got a bunch of follow-up notes and emails. People could not get enough Kratom and Boofing, so we're going to give you a little bit more Kratom and Boofing boofing i got this voicemail that i have to play so here we go hey dave this is gary from colorado longtime listener and i finally had a story that goes along with recent themes that i think i should send in for you so back in 2019 fully strung out on xanax and fentanyl and adderall and alcohol and all the other all and um I ended up getting a DUI, so I couldn't take my fentanyl and my my alcohol anymore because I was getting drug tested. Um, and so I was meeting this girl, and I was getting nervous. I had this new girl I was, like, you know, setting up on a date with. And so I had nothing to calm down my anxiousness. And so someone introduced me to Kratom a couple months back. And so I'd been taking it, and that kind of calmed the nerves and helped me out in the ways that, you know, sobriety doesn't. And... Um, I was taking it enough, but I took a lot of it, and after after a while, like, the powder makes your stomach upset, so you can't, like, drink anymore because it'll just throw up. But this girl was coming over, and I'm getting nervous, and I couldn't drink anymore because my stomach was fucked up. So I saw this clip in um, Shameless where Frank, he can't drink any more alcohol, but he has, like, one of those enema bags and fills it up with wine and sticks it up his butt. So... There goes the junkie, uh, junkie logic. So here's what I'm going to do, and what I did is I took a bunch of that powder, I put it in an enema bag that I had because you can't shit when you're taking opiates, and so that's what I did every now and again and take care of business when I had to. So I take a bunch of this powder, I put it in the enema bag, and I lay on the floor of my bathroom, and you, you get it, and sitting there butt naked with a hose of kratom and water up my a-hole, 
um, so that I can be in good shape for uh, this girl to come over. Um, and I don't know if it worked, to be honest. That maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Maybe it was the nerves or the rest of the drugs that I was on that I couldn't really tell. But um, that just goes perfectly with the theme of the last couple of weeks in your show, man. So I had to share that one with you. If you play it cool, if not, you know, that, that's also awesome. I just got to say, you're my weekly company in sobriety. I celebrated a year um, at March 17th, and I definitely gave a shout-out to Sophie Podcast because you guys do a lot for us people. Anyway, it's enough of me rambling. Fucking toodles for Chris, and Dave, we fucking love you, buddy. I hope you just keep on doing what you're doing. All right, that's me. Take care, guys. Bye. So that's Gary. Thank you, Gary, because we were looking for a boofing kratom story, and the jury is out on whether boofing kratom works. So if you've boofed kratom successfully and you have a story to tell, send it in to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Congratulations, Gary. You get a pair of dopey socks. And there should be new dopey socks. I bet you they won't come until, you know, June or something. But eventually there are new dopey socks coming. And even more big-time congratulations to Gary on his year. Send in your anniversaries, and I will celebrate. All right, we have another email that I want to read, but before I read it, I want to say that this episode of Dopey, this week's episode of Dopey, is sponsored by BetterHelp. I feel like I'm busy, busier than I should be. You guys know I have two kids. I have my day job. I have Dopey. I am stretched out and balanced is my best friend when I have it. And it's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs. Sometimes it gets hard to take a moment. We want balance. Therapy is an amazing tool to help you take care of you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and totally suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast today, and you get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. Get some help. Take advantage of the 10%. Use the Dopey code. Again, that's BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast for 10% off your first month of therapy to get balanced, to get sane. And now, another uh, email. Hey Dave, I recently discovered your podcast. It means so much. I'm trying to stay clean and your podcast really helps on my nights of insomnia. So many tragic fucking shit. I guess so much fucking tragic shit has happened lately and I'm trying to find my way again. I don't want to get too deep into that. I was in a five-year emotional, physical, mentally abusive relationship. It is now over as my abuser committed suicide in August. Then my 27-year-old stepson recently passed away from an overdose. Fucking fentanyl. Needless to say, I'm riding an emotional roller coaster. I am in therapy and taking it day by day, sometimes minute by minute. I hear you. I'm sorry for your loss. It's horrible. I wanted to share a couple dopey stories from a chapter in my debaucherous life that dates back to 1997. I packed all I could in a Ford Escort and hightailed it to join my boyfriend to live in L.A. after I graduated college. I had always parted, 
I had always partied and was ready to live it up. I arrived and my boyfriend had been up for days. I had done my share fare of meth, but hadn't had ice. That This was the peak for ice. Needless to say, I didn't get a job. We managed to get by on my boyfriend's drifting for a couple months. His high ass landed in and out of jail, bouncing from L.A. County to Orange County. I tried temp work for a bit before I figured out I could make a lot more money being a private dancer. No sex. The gig seemed a little scary at first, but really was kind of fun, especially when you are spun the fuck out. The company provider, all the girls, the company provided all the girls with a driver bouncer. Another girl and I got called out for a special request to give a man golden showers. We, we proceeded on our double trouble to his hotel, pounding water on the way after a gas station bathroom pit stop to smoke ice out of a light bulb. Easiest money ever. The guy had a stand on his hotel bed, and we pulled our panties to the side and pissed in his mouth. He literally drank it down. Job done. Collect $1,000. We asked him afterwards, naturally, why that was his kink. He said, because I worship women and their urine is their nectar. This is amazing. Most of the guys just wanted to talk or do drugs and watch a masturbation act. Some of the gigs were quite memorable. Another call that stands out was a wealthy guy that was throwing a party at his Manhattan beach house. He wanted three girls, a blonde, a redhead, and a brunette. He had a buffet of party favors and games set up for his guests. Upon our arrival... We were welcome to partake. We did rails of coke and drank before we took our assigned seats in one of the bedrooms. He had the three of us sit on a daybed, legs spread while, he, while the guests entered blindfolded. They were told to smell each of our lady bits and guess who is the blonde, the redhead, and the brunette. Ay ay ay. Looking back, I realized I'm lucky I didn't get chopped to bits and thrown in a dumpster. I did keep the gig for about three months and managed to visit my boyfriend for weekend visits in county the whole time. I will say visitation at L.A. County was much scarier than any gig I went on. Thanks for letting me share. Much love to you and the Dopey Nation. And of course, toodles for Chris. Wow. Now that's a serious Dopey email. Again, I'm very, very sorry for your struggles right now, but I appreciate the story, especially the urine drinking man. I think that's great. Uh, you get socks. If you, so send me your address and I will send you some socks. I'm not going to say her name because she doesn't want me to. And if you are out in the Dopey Nation hankering for a free pair of Dopey socks, all you need to do is like, you know, tell the worst thing that ever happened to you. Make it funny, make it dopey, make it short. And, uh, and then you're in. We're going to get to this panel in New Orleans, Louisiana. But first, I want to tell you guys that this episode of Dopey is brought to you from Lusamira. Lusamira is a non-opioid prescription medicine used for adults to help symptoms of opioid withdrawal that may happen to you when you stop taking an opioid. Obviously, if you're addicted to opioids, getting off of them is horrible. It's the one of the worst things I've ever been through. Lusamira it doesn't completely prevent symptoms, and it is not a standalone treatment for opioid use disorder, but it can be effective when administered alongside a comprehensive treatment plan. So if you're looking for a little help with your opioid kicking, 
check out Lusamira. But remember, Lusamira can cause serious side effects, including low blood pressure, low heart rate, and fainting. Watch for symptoms of low blood pressure or heart rate, including dizziness, lightheadedness, or feeling faint at rest, or when quickly standing up. If you experience these symptoms, call your healthcare provider right away. After a period of not using opioid drugs, you can become more sensitive to the effects of opioids if you start using them again. This may increase your risk of overdose and death. Tell your healthcare provider if you take benzodiazepines, barbiturates, tranquilizers, sleeping pills, or drink alcohol, as taking any of these with Lusamira can cause serious side effects. The most common side effect of Lusamira includes low blood pressure or symptoms of low blood pressure such as lightheadedness, slow heart rate, dizziness, sleepiness, and dry mouth. Lusamira is available by prescription, and only a healthcare provider can decide whether the product is appropriate for you. To find a provider who is right for you and to get more information about Lusamira, visit lusamira.com or call 1-833-L-U-C-E-M-Y-R-A. Again, that's 1-833-L-U-C-E-M-Y-R-A. All right. If you want to support Dopey, uh, join Patreon. That's the best way. I have a video of me and Fentanyl J making chicken drumsticks in the air fryer. There is, uh, you know, Ray was on last week. Aaron Carr was on last week. Tons of Just For Today meditations. We went back to the beach last week with with Evan, handsome Evan, and, and the new addition, Doug, on Cory Beach. So check that out at Patreon. If you listen to Dopey for free and you wish you had more Dopey and you wish that you could somehow support the show, sign up for Patreon. That's what you should do. Now it is time to play the panel. They called it Zero Proof, a sober kickoff to Jazz Fest. It was at Jeff and Walton Goldring's incredible house. And it was me, August Boyd, who's the clinical director of Imagine Recovery, Jason Ricci, who's like one of the greatest harmonica players out there, and that's not a hyperbole, and legendary interventionist and addict and alcoholic in long-term recovery, Harold Owens. And one more time, I want to thank Chris O'Shea of Imagine Recovery and his lovely partner, Felicia, Felicia Klein-Peter, I hope I'm saying that right. I want to thank Bill Taylor again for hooking the whole thing up. And I want to thank the Gold Rings. So here's our talk at the Gold Rings. Beautiful house. Live podcast recording from the Dopey Podcast. This is Dave Mannheim. This is Dave. So you'll get to know him in a second, but he's founded the Dopey Podcast, and it's grown and grown, and I know now they get something like 60 or 70,000 listens every week, so he puts up No, we, new... we do like 200,000 listens a week. I don't know how you got this faulty information. You told me that. <laughs> Who told you that? You did, I, I asked my you. Bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> 200,000 a week, that's a lot better. Don't be afraid to clap for me, Good too. Job. Come on, <laughs> pretend I'm from New Orleans, come on. As you, as you can tell, he's a little needy. Very needy. Uh, August, can we call you up here? Yes. Everybody, this is August Boyd from Imagine Recovery. Who has helped so many people here in this community over the last seven years since Imagine has been around. And I have to say, stop for a sec. Felicia, Chris, 
what you two have done in this city for people who are sober or struggling. It is, I can't put it into words. You've changed the landscape of this city and you've brought, not just that by helping individuals, you've created a community here. It's unbelievable the work you've done. And I'm so proud to call you both really good friends. Thanks, guys. All right. Jason Ricci, who is now is going to serve as one of our podcast guests. And finally, um, somebody I consider a mentor and who I look up to very much, who ran, uh, was a senior director at Music Cares for decades and started a lot of the addiction services there. I would say he's probably helped more musicians get sober than anybody on planet Earth. He's very humble and would probably disagree, but I know that's the truth. Ladies and gentlemen from Los Angeles, it's so great to see you again and have you here. Harold Owens. All right, well, thank and let's hear it for Bill Taylor. Because, you know, I don't know, I don't know what they say in New Orleans, but in New York, we would call Bill Taylor a mensch. He is a good dude. And um, yeah, so hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and it's an honor to be here. And I wanted to thank everybody too, but now it's too late. But I wanna, Jeffrey and Walton and Felicia and Chris and fucking Bill and everybody, it's incredible. I've only been to New Orleans one time before this, and uh, I'm so, I'm in touch with this city. Like I love the culture and the music, and I ate some gumbo, and I got some on my shirt, and it was incredibly embarrassing, and like a classic alcoholic, it's all I've thought about up to this moment. But here we are, and we wanna talk about, basically, I was always really afraid. When I got sober and I started Dopey almost eight years ago, and I remember, and I was a heroin addict, and I was also a crazy pothead, and I never liked the idea. I always wanted to go to Jazz Fest, but I was terrified to go to Jazz Fest sober. And then it happens that I get to come to Jazz Fest in this sober way. So I wanna talk about what we do as recovered people who used to love, because it's like you don't get into recovery if you didn't love using. It's just part of it, you know? How many people here are in recovery, by the way? You can, and clap, clap for yourselves. Let's give ourselves a hand. This is like the feel good event of the decade. They wouldn't even let me in a place like this years ago. Um, so I wanna talk about like how we can handle these kinds of things, sober and having fun. But first, I want all of us to kind of talk about the end of our run and how we found recovery. And August Boyd is the clinical director of Imagine Recovery. And Imagine is very beautiful. It's covered with rainbows and art. I was over there yesterday. You guys should check it out if you haven't. And August, what brought you into this disaster of recovery? First of all, I'm just really grateful to be here. Um, and I was like really nervous, just like, and sat down and I'm looking at everybody and I'm just thinking that there's so many folks here in recovery that I just, I know that I'm being loved right now. Nice. Um, so thank you for that. So what brought me into recovery, survival instincts. <laughs> I had really gotten to a point uh, where I was not really able to function. And so, I came into recovery, I think just, yeah, like trying to survive and also maybe a sense of obligation to the people who loved me. 
that I would keep trying and all the while really doubting that I would ever live sober, which is so wild that now I'm sitting here right? <laughs> and it's, it's such a different place than, than where I was. All right. Well, how uncomfortable was the beginning of your recovery? So uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. I was literally terrified of everyone and everything. And now look at you. Still a little terrified. Well, just still of a little terrified of everyone and everything. Um, yeah, just really lost. What I really want to know is like, how did you start getting on the path? Because you've been sober for like 14 years, right? It's been a while. And yeah. so like, what was like the beginning like? Yeah, so the beginning was really hard. Uh, I wanted to use all the time. Being sober was like trying to breathe underwater. Uh, it felt like the absolute wrong thing to do. And like, I was just like a raw nerve all the time. Uh, and I, I lived with a pretty strong daily obsession to use for about the first 18 months. So it, it was pretty brutal. And I, all the while, was just learning how to feel my feelings and live, live not numb, I guess. Um, do you remember what it was like when it started to feel a little bit better when like light came in and like you were breathing and it was yeah. okay? Do you remember that period? Like Definitely. And those memories are all memories of me being in recovery community. Right. That uh, the unconditional love, the unconditional positive regard that I would get from people was when that light started to happen. And also just being around other people that, that felt like me. Uh, I know that what I'm saying right now, I'm not the only one here that felt this way. And and being able to see that uh, and not not feel ashamed and to just have other people totally. <laughs> you know, there to support me. You know, I kind of thought that nobody ever wanted to be around me. And I was so isolated when I first got sober that people telling me to keep coming back was like, what, really? <laughs> no, so. it's shocking. The first time, the first time I went to a 12-step meeting this time. Somebody, it was a seven-day-a-week meeting, and somebody said, we'd love it if you came back tomorrow, and that changed my whole life. Yeah. You know, I never thought that anyone would want me back anywhere, <laughs> you know, unless yeah. I was spending money or whatever. Um, Jason, I heard that you're... And look, Jason is fucking sick harmonica player. I'm a, I play harmonica, and it's like, I'm going to throw my shit away after here. It's like devastating to me to be involved with somebody so... Incredible. It was amazing. Thanks, Dave. Amazing. Really, really special. Appreciate you, bro. Now, tell that horrible story when you got to Imagine Recovery. Okay. Well, so, like, I, if you were to ask me what it was like first getting sober, the answer would be which time? This time. Right. This time. Well, the, the last time was not actually at Imagine. That was the second to last time, right? Okay, maybe then that time first. Okay, wait, the time of going to Imagine? Whichever one was worse. I, they, my wife, Caitlin, Caitlin found out about Felicia and Chris. I, I had moved back here, had a, had a solid AA group in Indiana where I had been incarcerated and then got out and stayed in AA and did good. And then thought I was good to come back here. Right. And I wasn't. Right. So then I showed up at Imagine wrapped in a saint's blanket, sweating. Harold was there. And Ivan Neville was speaking. Wow. And I don't remember anything except freezing to death, right, in like August. Not in August, but in the I, month of August. Yeah. yeah, yeah Thank you for right, clarifying yeah. that. 
That's good. Oops. And and when I think it's it, it's it was July. We'll just say July. Yeah. I think that's better. Is anyone named July here? I'm just curious. No. Um, so when did it start getting better for you? <clears throat> well, um, so I got loaded a bunch of times. I put. Uh, she says that she was like. You said like, oh, I'm like, I'm like meek or scared or or whatever or shy. I was more scared of her, at at Imagine, like because she's was totally on to my bullshit, and like would like tell me to like stop, and I was like, what? This is such smart. <laughs> this bullshit is so smart. How can you say that, right? How do you see through me right now? <laughs> I, was, I was like scared. I was totally scared of it, right? You know, but anyway, like the last time I went, I went bare bones, man. Nobody would touch. Even Harold wouldn't touch me. No, he, no, no, no. He done like, he, Harold. I didn't have any more money in my Harold's, Harold's, <laughs> Harold's put, put me money. through two rehabs. He put me through two, through two of them. But I but, never gave up on you, bro. I, I, I know you did. This That's last time, hold on, I want to clap for that. Thank That's thank beautiful. You. That's beautiful. I, I seriously have, I mean, me and Jason, I even spoke to your mom. I know you were in jail, and I, I remember sp- speaking to your mom, and I just, you know, instant connection. Every time I talk to families, man, it gets me, because I know what my family went through with me, you know, and uh, they didn't have a clue. They didn't know what to do. They'd done everything, and... Really nothing in that sense. You know, they didn't know, they didn't have a pathway to help their poor son, Harold, who was sleeping in his car and uh, exhausted all my jobs. I've been in tons of rehabs, Jason. That's why I never gave up. Love you, bro. She never fucking know when it's going to Ivan, Ivan was in a ton yeah, of you know? yeah, so I'm not alone, but, but I don't know the last time, like, I wish I could say that it was like, Cause I have like such an after school special story, right? Like I got the, the drugs, the prostitution, the jail, the prison, the robbing people, the whole thing. Right. And like, but none of that was sufficient for me to want, really want to quit. Like I, I quit the first time intellectually for music to because I knew like I couldn't smoke crack and be a positive, you know, touring musician. Right. You know? How did you figure that out? I, <laughs> Because, like, every time, like, because the only way I would stop was a police car or an ambulance, right? You know, so, like... And, yeah. and, a, and a crack-smoking harmonica player, that has to be a difficult thing. Dude, dude, I don't... Where did the lung power come from? Okay, we're going to get to this, like, in a minute, actually. But, but like, <laughs> but like the last time, I, I swear this is the most boring bottom ever because it wasn't who I hurt or, or all that stuff bothered me, but it was, I got bored, of drugs. I had it all. I was sitting there and it was days in and, and I just, I just went to Odyssey house, which is like our local indigent treatment center. There were rats there. There was, there was prostitution in the detox. It, I, it was great. It was great. It It might as well have been Betty Ford. I was fine. I got out. I got loaded one more time just to test it. And, and, and I, and I didn't want it anymore. I was, and, and, and like August, my, my first 12 years I was sober, I wanted to get high every single day, every single day. And for the past four years, I haven't had one urge, not once, not one urge to get loaded. But I nurture, I do everything that everybody told me now, no matter what. But I did have a spiritual experience. I feel loved and I feel forgiven. 
and, and the thing was is that came from something abstract and beyond. And then the funny thing is I looked around and there was Joe Gelini and there was Anders and there was August and there was Harold and there was my wife and there's people that had always been there the whole time, Dave. I just couldn't see it because I couldn't forgive me. But once I forgave myself, I was able to see the forgiveness that was offered to me the whole time. And they asked me, Can you, we'd love it if you come back tomorrow, right? And I was like, holy crap, I want to come back. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like verklempt over here. I'm very, it's, very, it's very emotional business. Um, and I'm just curious, and you don't need to have to come up with a real absolute, but when you talk about that spiritual moment, and we talked a bit about it last night, where do you think it came from? I know, I know you're talking about higher power, but what was the inspiration that it touched you? Because we're always okay. in our higher powers I, presence I can, in I some can do way. this. I can do this. Yes, yes. So... So at the end of the chapter, how it works, it says that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. And then it says, B, probably no human power could relieve our alcoholism. So my introduction to that love and forgiveness was that I absolutely tested every single human power there was and lived to tell about it. So it wasn't music, it wasn't dope, it wasn't the booze, it wasn't women or men, okay? It, it, it wasn't a career, None of, it wasn't a psychiatrist, it wasn't a rehab, it wasn't a sponsor. I wore through that and somehow, by the grace of God, I lived to tell about it. And from that day was implanted in me a permanent gratitude. And yes, I nurture that every day, and sure. yes, I lose that. But never, there. it is so true that my worst day now is better than my best day ever. And, and even my worst day now is a lot better for everybody around me, right? They, 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 yeah, yeah, right. I, I believe it. And, and the coolest thing is that we can have that moment in, in a, a million different ways. You never know where it's going to come, and you never know how it's going to come. And uh, I want to know, how did, how did you get in? I mean, all I know about you is you dropped acid with Timothy Leary. You get everybody and their Not mother. Not with Timothy, just his band, his band of brothers. I'll, I'll say that now. Uh, I, I, I had Let's been, wait, hold on. Let's hear it for Harold and Timothy been, Leary really quickly. Harold is a legend, and I'm awed just thank, to be talking with on. him. No, I, I listen, I had gone to rehab. The first time I went to rehab, my mom dropped me off at this place called Synanon oh, in boy. Santa Monica. Oh, not Synanon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, Donnie has a great podcast about that. It's the whole cult. It's fucking cult. <laughs> but at the time I was there, I was 22, and uh, first time around, they said it was a life. You know, you got to be here. In the, uh, it's a lifetime program. When you leave, you're cooked. You're going you know, to use, blah, blah, blah. I left. I used. And that was in the mid-'70s. And until 88, I'd gone in and out of treatment centers. But here's the deal. Every time I got, and never, ever did I, number one, even go to AA, I didn't even, they didn't, back then they just didn't have, they, they wanted to stay around their own community. But every time I left, I didn't have a community. I didn't have a band of brothers. I didn't have, I didn't have a vehicle that would get me to the next level. I wanted to somehow be transformed and have an experience that would enlighten me on my own. So, I never sought out a community. I, I did this. My, my, my first 30 days out of rehab, last time, I was like this. I was standoffish, back of the pack, 
still stand there looking in. And, and it was not until I found my tribe, my community, my, the people like-minded that had something going on that I couldn't identify. And I leaped in, I took that dive in. That's when I started feeling a part of. And that would change for me. And I would say about that moment of a spiritual awakening of sorts, was I was driving back, my buddy and I had worked, uh, I was working at a, just the worst job in the world. I was selling farm tools. I was in LA selling farm tools Amazing. to fucking Iowa. Amazing. Or somewhere, or, you know, to farmers every morning at five o'clock waking up. I got, this is, Ira, this is terrible, man. This is horrible. And it was, the sun was going down. We were going to a meeting. And then my buddy says, yeah, but I got some hope these days. And I said, you know what, Ira? You're right. Look how beautiful it is. And we were going to a meeting and I was safe and I had a place to stay. I, was in, I went to a sober living and it was, it just, it just did it for me. Isn't it incredible when you don't go out like when you start putting the days together, because we all go out, we come back, we go out, we come back. And then if we're lucky, we get to stay and accumulate time. And it's like to hear, and was that the beginning of, of this journey? Yeah, that was, that was the beginning. And how important is the Band of Brothers? I mean, like I, I go to a meeting on Long Island, you know, three or four days a week, eight in the morning on the beach. Yeah. They call it, see, but this is the Band of Brothers right no, here. I'm just saying we're part of a big band. Everybody here that raised their hand, we're right. part of this band. Right, and they, they say- No matter where you are, by the way. Exactly. Right? It's the watering hole of freaks and weirdos. Of, yeah. It's the land of broken toys. That's right. And, and, we're, and I feel so at home. I was like nervous about doing the podcast, and the second we started talking, I knew it was going to be okay. Well, you had Jason, so- I know. He's a powerhouse. Great podcaster and harmonica player. That's right. So now I want to talk about how do you, okay, Jason, we'll start with you. What the fuck? Um, as a musician who goes to shows, right? And you would smoke crack before shows, you get probably, never? You never did? Never? Because if I, like, this is, I'm the worst, this is going to be the most shitty answer ever. Okay, that's good. So Brace have, yourselves, everybody. So, like, I it's never had bad. a problem going to, like, jazz fest or blues festivals or clubs because I was too, when I was doing drugs, I was way too fucked up to be anywhere near the public. So I, I barricade myself in, in rooms where I put mattresses over windows, I lock doors, I, I, I crack and porn, and it goes for days. And, and, and if I have to do a gig, I do heroin to stop doing crack. And then I get kind of clean, and then I go to the gig, and, and, then I, and nobody knows, right? Because I'm more or less sober at the gig. And then I get the money and I go back to my cave. Night, right? night yeah, that night. Right. So, so I, I'm, I'm like the worst guy for like, because like to me, like when I see people drinking alcohol and smoking weed, it's, it's like coffee. That's like dumb. Like I wouldn't even mess with that. If I, if Jazz Fest was like just people smoking crack and having sex, that'd be a problem. Right, I, right, I, I right. might need it. Might need to call Bill for a send me a friend right, right. in there. Yeah. That would be triggering. Yeah. Crack and sex fest as opposed to jazz fest. I hear but, you. But like, on, but no, on the road though, I did use send me a friend. And it, it wasn't so much because I wanted to use, it was because I was a mess. I was just a mess. And I needed somebody that knew what it was like to be a mess. And so 
for those of you that don't know, send me a friend. I found out about it through Christopher, and they introduced me to Anders, who I had known but not really known. And Anders was like, yeah, man, let me hook you up with these people. So when I got sober on the road, I would email Bill my dates in every single town that I went to to play. A person from AA or NA showed up at my gig and met me and we would talk program and sit there with me. And then after the gig, they'd be like, are you good, brah? And I'd be like, yeah. And, they, and then we'd go home. Yeah. Right. Let's hear it for send me a friend also. Awesome. Because for, first of all, send me a friend is really the reason I'm here. Like that's how I, I met Anders and, and that's how I hooked up with Bill, which got me here. And, and secondly, like when we started doing Dopey, like as a show, I didn't know what it was, but when I listened to it for the first time, I, I don't, I mean, I tend not to listen to it because I make it, but when I listened to it for the first time, I was like, this is kind of good because I feel like I'm being kept company with this thing. And I and I and you hear the, one of the greatest new catchphrases. Maybe it's not that new. Is connection is the opposite of addiction. And when we have each other, we have each other. And and more importantly, when we have each other, we can have fun. And, and really, there's no point of any of this. You can be the Dalai Lama sitting on a hill, the most spiritual person in the world. But if you're not having fun, none of it matters. You know, we're here because we love to have fun. Did you struggle at? Because you're because not only is she the clinical director of, of Imagine Recovery, she's also a conga playing healer. She's a musician. And also, can I add, yes. she also runs the Music Cares New Oh yeah, Orleans I knew division. that, I forgot about So that. she was there for all of the bullshit. First of all, how bad was Jason? Let's start with that. Full disclosure. Come on, you could can, you can say. You were a little irritable. <laughs> and man, I just... You know, I saw myself in you, and I, you know, we all see ourselves. Yeah, in ourselves. And right? so there was just so much love, you know, just right off the bat. And just you know, earlier we were talking about kind of that spiritual experience thing. And Harold, I don't know if you know this story, but thinking about, I didn't have like a burning bush moment where I was like higher power, but those things that kind of really started to get me like moving through the really hard days was when you get these little glimmers that like you're on the right path. And so I was in rehab, I had spent, um, my, my father had passed and I had inherited some money that I completely blew through. And uh, I had just a little bit left and I called this treatment center and I was like, please take my money. I, I can't, I don't wanna use anymore. Like I just, I can't even fathom spending the rest of this money. So I spent my last dollar, went with a backpack to rehab and um, around like day 45, like I just, I had no idea what I was going to do. I had no money. You know, I, I felt like I didn't have a lot of support. Uh, and I get this letter in the mail and they're like, August, you have, you have mail. And I'm like, who even knows that I'm here, let alone wants to send me mail. And it's a letter from Music Cares. Mm. And so apparently in a blackout, <laughs> I applied for Music Cares funding before going to treatment. Yes. Complete blackout. Yes. <laughs> And y'all gave me money for sober living. Oh my God. And I mean, what greater sign like, could there be than like, I'm gonna get emotional. Cause I mean, that was really this idea that like maybe, maybe I could make it, yeah. you know? You know, it's so, <laughs> it's so important to hear 
like my story and yours, because somebody did the same thing for me, which is why I'm so, when I work with people, I want to give them as much of, I, you know, I want you to know I got your back, mm. right? Got your back. And, and that's because somebody had mine. Yeah, it's amazing. And when we're capable of, of actual love, it's like the most amazing thing. It's like, cause we're incapable, I was incapable of, of love when I was using. And my, my moment came begging my daughter's mother to let me smoke weed and still see my daughter. I was on, I was on Grand Street in Manhattan. It was 98 degrees in August. And I'm at my computer typing a letter to my daughter's mother. Please just let me smoke pot. I can be a good father. Just let me smoke pot. I was 41 years old. I, I was a heroin addict for 15 years. And I saw myself writing the letter. And I was like, maybe I don't need to smoke pot. Maybe I'm going to try. And I went to a meeting the next morning, right? And there's this kid. And he's celebrating 10 years, right? And I was like, who the fuck is this kid? Fucking 28 years old, celebrating 10 years. Beautiful kid with tattooed sleeves and handsome. I'm like, ugh, ugh, horrible. And, uh, and I went up to the kid to kind of like tell him to go fuck himself, basically. I don't know why. Like, I don't know why I should resent this kid, you know? I mean, because I'm an alcoholic, that's why. And I go up to him and, I, and, I, and he goes, oh my God. He goes, how many days do you have? And I said, I don't have any days. I said, I'm, I'm just here. And he goes, well, maybe today will be your first day. And I was like, this fucking kid. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, and then I, but I said, well, maybe it is going to be my first day. And I went home and I had, I had a stoner's paradise in my cabinets. I had jars with strains and labels, everything I'd always wanted. And I called my best friend and I was like, come over, it's yours. And he took it. And that's, and the next morning I went to that meeting and the guy said, we want you to come back. Uh, which was fucking, it, it was life changing. And I went to a meeting today at seven in the morning. It was three alcoholics, three alcoholics. We shared three times each. We triple dipped. We went around three times. I've never seen anything like it. But when I left, I felt so much better because I had been there. Harold, in your, because you're so into music and, and, and so involved with the world of music, was it ever uncomfortable sober going to a show in the beginning? Not this time. Okay. The other time it was great <laughs> when I was getting loaded, but I, 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 I'm not, I'm not a, an artist, so I, I had one different kind of perspective this time. I was so beat. I was so uh, suicidal. You know, I talked to you about living in my car. And I was so beaten down, beaten down. I couldn't even hear music anymore. I, could, I heard it, but I couldn't feel it. I saw things and I didn't see them. I would, I would turn on my radio and listen to the news mm. versus music. And that's not me. I've been, I grew up with music. And it wasn't until I started, feel, I started feeling music again, feeling it, you know? And, you know, I've always been searching. We talk about acid and hallucinogenics. When I was young, I did them. But I was always kind of searching for, like, that transcendent, experience mm. and it was naive but you know uh maybe worked once but um that's what i found here come on that's so the next time the first time i went to a festival sober come on i was i was communing with my you know it was dad. happening it was happening it's amazing and i was feeling i was i was 
I had chills. I had tears in my eyes. And, you know, all that stuff that I hadn't felt for years getting loaded, you know. So it's like that magic. Magic. It's that magic. It, and, and I know that, like, I, when we have fear and we show up and our friends are there, we get that magic, you know. And that's, that's what this is. And, uh, and before, before we're done, I just want to ask you, did you ever put liquid LSD in your eyes? No, but I, sh I shot it. You shot LSD? More than once, I hate to say it. <laughs> Look at this. Harold wasn't going to disclose anything, and he's fucking mainlining no. LSD. No, no, no. That's what a, is going on? I, I was kind of a, I, was, I took acid a lot uh, yes. when I was younger. It's just, you can tell. <laughs> you can tell. I, that's why I'm like 16 years old. <laughs> My mind. Yes. I always see. I relate. I love kids. I love working with young artists and uh, when they're young because I get to watch them if they stay in recovery just, you know. Wait, wait, hold up. Tell us about the time you shot the acid, though. Come on. <laughs> I had to stand between two doorways in the kitchen. <laughs> and it, was, it was nuts. Yes, thank you. I appreciate you disclosing that. Let's hear it for Harold because he's, he's telling his truth. And um, I have to say... I'm so grateful to be here and to do this. And um, I think we should stop on a really good note. Thank you guys so much. And I was going to ask August a question. Yeah, ask, right? yeah, ask, please. August, yeah. this is really important. You know, how did you, once you got your feet back on the ground, how did it, I'll tell you, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do when I got sober. Everything else I'd done in life, I didn't know where to come play, at, to play later. But then it was like, what is, what? the fuck am I going to do, you know? And I, and I wanted to ask you kind of the same question. What got you into the field? Mm, that is a good question, Harold. Tell us everything. Okay. So when I got the Music Care Scholarship, I could go anywhere in the country for sober living, and I knew I couldn't go back to Los Angeles. And I had this, like, divine kind of belief that New Orleans was going to be my sober city, and everyone thought I was absolutely crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> and I, I wanted to come here because I wanted to study the music. And in terms of like direction, you know, I, I don't think I ever felt like I had a sense of purpose. And when I first entered recovery, I remember feeling so grateful that my sponsor was like, August, your purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. And I was like, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I've been like looking for this roadmap of like what I'm supposed to do with my life. And so that, that became my jumping off point. And that's, that's what I did. I threw myself into service work. I threw myself into the rooms and um, made that my primary purpose. And once I moved to New Orleans, I was uh, Carlo Nucio, um, who's not with us anymore, so bless him. Um, I met him, um, and he gave me a space to kind of put my drums and to just be able to play. And that's kind of how I started getting gigs because people would hear me like shedding outside the, the room. And I started playing and I got really into to playing music. And so I did that professionally for a while and it was awesome. And then I kind of about maybe two, three years into sobriety, my body kind of started to break down. Like I was like, man, I got sober and my body fell apart. But really, I think it's just like the wear and tear ended up like, catching up to me. And I was having a really hard time continuing to play professionally, just the, the physical piece of that. And so again, I was kind of lost, like, what am I going to do? And I returned to that initial purpose of, you know, my purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. 
And so I went back to school and I got my master's in social work and didn't start off working in addiction. It landed on you, it just landed like it landed on me. on me. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think New Orleans has, uh, you know, that you landed here so much you're going to do this community as you have already so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's an great. honor. It's great. Yeah. yeah. No, it's totally, it's incredible. And, and I think Harold and August get to work with alcoholics and addicts in this very direct way and help them. And, and all of us as addicts and alcoholics, our purpose is to stay sober and try to help the next person. And, and the fact that we can do it in whatever way we can, if it's holding a door, if it's pouring some coffee, if it's saying hello, it's spreading love. The surface work we're gonna do, at the, at, you guys are gonna do it. You're time. not doing it you right know? now. No, I'm gonna be there, but whoever's setting this up, I mean, strong, I mean, all of you, are gonna make uh, Jazz Fest a different place. It's not gonna be the same. 100%. I did the same thing at Coachella yeah. 22 years ago. First meeting at Coachella, and, and I was the only one there. Did you triple dip? <laughs> I triple dip. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's, it's very strong. Well, I, I think it's, uh, we all have an incredible opportunity, and uh, I'm just grateful that you guys let us do this. And Harold, do you have any other questions for them before? Sorry, I put my moderator hat on. Dude, it's good. Thank you. Help me. Do you have any, no, do you have any, nothing else? Jason? August? I'm good. All right, well, thank you guys so much. And uh, actually, I wanna say one more thing. I wanna say something. Shout out Jimmy. Shout out Jamie. Um, I wanna say one more thing, that when I started Dopey, I didn't start it by myself. I started it with a, a very close friend of mine named Chris that I met in treatment. And the show was meant to be just the stupidest things we had ever done uh, around addiction. And, uh, you know, it was, we podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. I started it when I had four months clean. And basically in the beginning, it was just making fun of Alcoholics Anonymous, making fun of this kind of stuff, making fun of using how we almost died, this, that, and the other thing. And then uh, my partner relapsed and he died while we made the show. And uh, his name was Chris O'Connor, and I, I loved him, and the show wouldn't exist without him, and we never would have imagined anything like this ever happening. And if I don't mention him, I've done a horrible disservice. And he, you know, he loved Dopey like I did, and, and I know he would be very, very excited about this. And we end every episode of Dopey by saying, I would always say, stay strong, Dopey Nation, because it was like, I would play the fake preacher. I'd be like, stay strong, you know, like, like, like those guys do, stay strong. And I'd be like, stay strong, Dopey Nation. And now there is a Dopey Nation. And Chris, because he was incredibly annoying, at the end of every show would say toodles. And I would say, you don't have to fucking say toodles every show, Chris. And he would say it anyway. And the fans loved it. So now at the end of every episode, we say, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. And that's it. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Yeah, stay strong. Thank you, guys. So that's a trip, right? Fucking live Dopey. Who knows? Maybe there'll be more storytelling live Dopey events coming soon. There is definitely one coming October 7th in New York City, a little thing called DopeyCon IV. We're not going to number any of these things again. But DopeyCon IV, which is, of course, DopeyCon 4 in Roman numerals, is too delicious not to title. October 7th, New York City, 
Get your tickets. It's officially booked. It's it's happening. So come. And uh, what'd you guys think of the live dopey shit? It's weird, but it was really, really fun. And I don't know who's keeping track, who has a calendar out, but when Fentanyl J came, you know, when he first came on, he thought sentencing was coming in April. And now, you know, it's it's May. It's fucking Cinco de Mayo today. Arriba. You know, whatever you say. I can't really roll my R's well enough to do a good Mexican scream. Uh, but it's it's you know, the first week in May and I and and Jay is not sober, but I love Jay and I wanna have as much of Jay on the show as we can. So here's me and Jay. But before I play this clip of me and Jay, I want to give a big shout out to uh, Dopey intern Claire. So we're going to give a big vape knock to Claire. We're going to give some cheers if I can hit it. Claire is a, a wonderful contributor to Dopey. That's a long cheer. She's a wonderful contributor to Dopey. She is a student in Canada and uh, she has a lot of like really harebrained ideas. One of her harebrained ideas was to get dopey dime bags and have drug dealers distribute drugs in dopey dime bags, which we didn't do, thank God. And she actually got weed and put them in her own dopey dime bags. So Claire, being an industrious woman, got them made. She made her own dopey dime bags. And then, you know, she's not an addict, but she smokes weed from time to time. She put weed in her dopey dime bags. Then she sent me pictures of the weed in her dopey dime bags and said, do you think uh, we should post this to Instagram? To which I said, no, and we didn't. But Claire stepped it up and trimmed down the Fentanyl J recording because Amelia was is off on tour. So big shout out to Claire, big shout out to Amelia, and of course, a big shout out to Fentanyl J. All right, in our dining room, we have Jay, also known as Fentanyl Jay, uh, who thinks I should be called Dopey Dave or just Dopey. <laughs> Speak on it, Jay. Well, well, you're starting with that, huh? Why not? Yeah, okay. I was like, Jay kept calling me Dopey Dave, and I was you like, got I was like, I was like, you got to stop calling me. You that. didn't like it. And then as I was driving over here, I was like, that's just my ego. It's Dopey Dave. No, it's not. <laughs> it's Dopey Dave. Now, if you were me, you would like it. I think so. I think just it's, Dopey is kind of cool. Like, yo, Dopey. Like, but I think it's because like cool. you're from like the Lil Yachty generation. Like you're from like people I, like I like they have Wu Tang, bro. I'm not listen. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying. I think nowadays to be called Dopey Dave is more embraceable than it is for an old timer like me. I think Dopey Dave is is if it's not already stuck, it's sticking. It's not sticking. I think it is. It's not. It's it's melting like snowfall in December. I literally in Sayville. I literally said, sticking. Dopey Dave. Like the first time, maybe like yeah, like LOL, Dopey Dave. But the next couple times, it was just just rolled off the tongue, you know. I think I just, it just I think you're just enjoying annoying me. <laughs> when you're you say, like, when no, you say it's I'm, not sticking. You no, know what they dead that? That's what you said. You know what they call that. me at the meeting? What? You'd think maybe they'd call me Dopey Dave. Yeah. But and, and then maybe they call me Jewish Dave. Jewish Jew, big nose Dave. <laughs> Jewish, Jewish Dave. Jewish Dave. 
Then maybe they call me New York City Dave, but they don't. You know what they call what? me? Delhi Dave. Delhi Dave. That's what they call oh, me at the meeting. Shit. Um, you got a fucking moniker. Everybody there has a moniker. Smiling Joe, fucking Ray the Clammer, Angry Ray. Now Jay. Crazy Dave. People, yeah. Well, strike that from the record. <laughs> people think I wouldn't have. People probably are going to assume that you're sober because you're back on the show. Oh. Now, why don't you give the Dopey Nation a quick update of your status? What the people want to know what's going on with I'm you? The, I'm not sober. I'm not doing drugs. I'm I'm drinking heavily, alcoholically. Yeah. Now, because you're drinking, first question I think I ask you the same question every time you mm. come on: Is it easy to not use drugs? Yes. Does it come up ever? Yes. Doing drugs. Yes. And once in a while, you've done coke. Yes. Off women's breasts. Yeah, yeah. Stuff did like that. Did that kind of recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, but co- you don't want to do coke. No, I don't like it. And do you think about fucking injectors? You know what I mean? Like, say that again. Doing, if, we're, if we're doing cocaine, like I'm not just doing cocaine anymore, dude. You know, bring out the fucking IV fucking drips. Give me the the pins. I want to fucking injectables. But you, know? you snorted it last time. I did. And you you were not pleased. Didn't like it at all. B- but were you like, give me a shot? Or were you like, I don't want to deal with this? Uh, it was, uh, it's just, it was so, first of all, it was impossible. Because like, I'd have to like, go Leave. back into fucking, in fucking attic mode. Like start fucking Googling 24-7 pharmacies or something. You did know? you consider that for No, a I didn't even. I, I might have thought, no, I didn't even consider it really. You know? Granted, I haven't done drugs in like over two years. Like, you know, two or well, I've done drugs, but I haven't like done fucking drugs. You haven't done drugs the way you used to do drugs and the way drug addicts do drugs. Exactly. Let me ask you this, though. Listen, we're we're in horrible limbo. I I think about Jay on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I worry Mm -hmm. Uh, the sentencing should have come up two weeks ago. Yeah, about yeah. Uh, on the schedule. It yep. should have happened two weeks ago. It yeah. didn't happen. Yep. You know nothing. Nothing about what's going on. Nothing. And I'm going to inform the dopey nation. Jay's scared to call his lawyer because he's scared he's going to remind them. Or <laughs> um, maybe maybe it already passed somehow. That's another worry that I have. And you're on a list or something. Yeah, like my numbers changed. Granted, my lawyer won't tell me, but my numbers changed. Like you said, he has my address, but like, I don't know, mail gets lost in my house all the time, you know? What does your dad say about it? My dad's like, fucking, don't even bring it up. Don't bring it up with him or don't bring it up with the lawyer? Like, period. He's like pretending like it's not happening. Yeah, yeah, it runs in the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Denial is strong with your family. My mom is different, though. My mom will be just like, I hope fucking Ohio blows up and fucking, you know, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I just fucking hope. I hope, you know, this is all she can say, you know? Like, oh, I just hope we don't get anything. I hope we don't get any mail. I hope she's like, look, something happened in Ohio. I think we talked about this. Something crazy happened in Ohio. Maybe it wasn't with you. Like some train, some some news shit in Ohio, like something fucked up happened. I think to some, my mom was like, she texted me. She's like, look, it's coming true. Like there's fucking crazy shit happening in Ohio. She was like praying for tornadoes and not like, you know, shout out to some people in Ohio. So like, don't want you guys to get hit. But like, she wanted the courthouses to erupt and stuff and lose files and stuff. Well, I mean, we don't know what's happening. I don't. And, and that's why I'm drinking mad so hard. I feel like. Yes, that's why. I Because I don't know. Because you're scared. Because. You're drinking out of fear. 
Yeah. Are you afraid to even say you're scared? Yeah. Why? Yeah, I guess. Why? I guess I'm because I'm not. I'm scared. What's not to be scared of? Losing your freedom for an that's, unknown quantity of time. That's fucked up. Yeah. It's, it's, it's scared it's, is such a. You don't want to be a scared. Bad connotation. Connotation with the word. It's frightening. It's what? What else is it besides it's scary? Unsettling. It's annoying. It's annoying. It's frustrating. Frustrating. It's scary as hell. It's fucked. I mean. I'm not you. It's I, I don't have experience. Like I don't want to. I'm not. I don't have experience in the slammer. Yeah. But I do. <laughs> I, I don't have a slammer the, experience. <laughs> but I, I. And so I in would the be joint I'd, in the Bing. Yeah, in the big house. In the I, big house. I'd be terrified. And you don't even want to say you're scared. I'm not. Because if you walk in scared, you're fucked. Exactly. That's why that's you don't want to thing. say. That's, that's why. a big thing too. I don't because like I, like I was just about to say, I'm not scared to go back to jail. Like, I'm not scared to be in jail. I'm not scared of anyone in jail. I'm not. The second you say it and you show up there, you're toast. It's toast. But, you, I mean, losing your freedom is a scary thing. It's like, no, it's, it's fucking... Horrible. Uh, yeah, it's a fucked thing, you know? And, like, I get in this fucking... And, and I'm fucking edgy at work, dude. Like, like Let's I talk feel, about that. <laughs> should we? I think so. Yo, so fucking... I'm edgy at work. Fucking... I'm sure the surf goddess is listening. Shout out to the shout surf out goddess. to the surf goddess. Shout out to vegan. Shout out to vegan. Shout out to rocket. Yo, big shout out to rocket. But surf goddess and vegan are probably gonna hear this. I've been fucking on edge a little, you know. What and is maybe that? It's a drinking. What does that look like? It's like I'm fucking snappy. You know, I get it. the people at work say I have this fucking look on my face. You know, when I'm mad, like I have a mad look. And I don't really say much, and I'm normally pretty happy go lucky. You know, I'm normally, you know. Smiles and stuff and jokes. But lately, bro, like it's been happening. So like I work Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So like by Sunday, it normally happens no matter what. Because I'm like fucking most uh, uh, socially drained, you know, like not trying to do it. But then it started happening. Now it happens like Thursday morning. You know, I'm like, fuck the shit. Well, I, I don't think that heavy drinking helps your mind helps state. I think happy go lucky is a great place to be. Yeah. But I think for you, sometimes it's a mask. Yeah. You know, it's like, possible. You know, you want everyone to think you don't give a fuck and you're always the best time in the world. And who is the best time in the world always? Nobody. Maybe like Danny DeVito. I don't, Danny DeVito. Why? <laughs> why? Is he might Danny, be a good time. Why? I mean, I, I, I waited on him at Katz's once. Did you? Or I dealt with him at Katz's once. Oh, he was probably a pain in the dick. He huh? was having the time of his life. Yeah, it was a good time. No, but I'm sure he's not always having a good time. I don't know. He seems like a guy that has a lot of fun. Why Danny well, DeVito? Why out of every name in the book <laughs> did you pull out Danny DeVito? He, looks, he doesn't look like he's having he that good like time. He looks like a good time, though, you know? I think that's interesting. Also, now I think. Uh, first of all, waiting tables is a thankless job. What's it, that? It's a grind. It's, it's a grind. It's, it's, it's a, I mean, for me, it's a grind. It was miserable. Hated it. I, it was the job I love to hate. Yeah. Yeah. Every, yeah. the best thing about it it's is good. you can make crazy money. Yeah. Best thing. Really the best thing about it for me was I learned how to earn money like and i mean earn yeah like, like every dollar is yeah fucking earned it's true you kill yourself so at it's the end true. of the day when you're counting that money you're like i remember this bitch it's true fuck i got her. the 20 yeah 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 this guy left me 12 but he should have left me 18 yeah fuck him yeah fuck yeah, that yeah, guy. yeah yeah that guy left me 40 he should have yep. left me 20 that's a that's good, a good dude, dude. <laughs> oh yeah yeah you know, i like, like that guy yeah. but it's like i learned i learned a lot about life doing it me too but dude. what i really learned was i don't want to do it 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I really learned. I don't want to do it. Oh shit! I fucking I like it because I like to, I need something social. I need something with people. High energy, you know. And also, you love that idea of what you put in, you get out, and you you love being able to really earn the do I? fuck you to earn the pants off of everybody else to oh. beat them to be better than them. I do like that a lot. You love that. I do like that That's a lot. That's the best. I do like that a lot. Now, I'm very competitive sales, all that right, stuff. Very, right. And also, but like, I don't, it's not like fucking, it's good money. It's great money. It's great money if you don't have an education. Yeah. It's a great hustle money. It's good hustle money. You know? But I get so mad, dude. Like, yo, I and I'm like reverting to fucking, uh, like, bro, as it gets closer, like, I'll fucking, you know, they're like some no-no words in jail, right? You can't call someone a bitch or a punk or anything like that, right? And in New York, if you say, like, call someone a bozo the wrong way, you know, it's like a bad thing. A bozo. You know? Yeah, yeah. Is that a real thing? It's a thing. Like you can call someone a bozo, but if you say it in the wrong, like if I call you like a bozo, tell me how. Give me the wrong way to say like, it. Like, like if it's like joking, like oh ha, you like you fucking bozo. You should have threw this card instead of this card. Maybe right, cards. Right, okay, right, right. but if it's like yo, you fucking bozo, you know, it's like you know, shots that, fired. At least for me, it's like it's like I don't know. I can't speak for everyone else. I can speak for everyone in jail when I say if someone calls you a bitch, they want to fight you. You know? Is a bozo good in jail or not good? No, see, so, 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 I can't speak. Yeah, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, like, I wouldn't let anyone call me that in jail. So, like, hold on though, in the restaurant, are you bozoing people? And it happened, dude, with a coworker, bro. He fucking, dude, he was like mad one night because we all have hoodies or something. He thought someone stole his hoodie. Fucking, my hoodie's got a big hole in the armpit. I know it's my hoodie. Um. And oh, obviously he thinks it's me. You I know? see you thinking, should I tell this story? Because yeah. someone's <laughs> gonna listen to it. Yeah. So tell the story. So he obviously thinks it's me, you know. And he's like super mad about it. And at first I'm like letting it rock, like okay, he's mad, it's okay. But I just have like a sw- a f- uh, uh, switch sometimes, you know. Like where I can only take X amount. I've had it's all like in stands and I can't stands no more. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I hit him with the like, you know, very snappy like, shut the fuck up about your fucking, you know, like who I don't know who you're fucking talking to. But you're, you're ready to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Super ready to fight, yeah. right? The next day I fucking go to work, say what's up on some distance kind of thing. No, like like cool like what's up bro like last night you were mad i said some things back to you and and it's cool now you know then he was like oh you fucking bozo he said yo he said some shit like that right he called you a bozo yeah 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 i said yo what the fuck did you just say to me bro Uh i said if you say that again i'm gonna smack the shit out of you and he says all right bonehead and i smacked him across his face and what happened smacked him right across the face what did he do he was like sitting there stunned, like stunned. I was like, you don't think I won't fuck you up? I was like, I. Oh, Jay. I know it was bad. It was so and bad. And then what happened? So bad. What I was happened? like, follow me the back. It was bad. And then what did he do? And th- nothing. He was sitting there. I he was didn't want to fight you. No. He want, He was willing to call you a bozo and a bonehead. And you know what's fucked up is so so, the this girl Jill that works there, fucking, she knows that that I don't like that. Right? She we're close. We're friends. Yes. She fucking told her before I came in, like, yo, I'm going to call Jay a bozo when he comes in. And Jill was like, don't do that. It's n-. He's Hold like, on, but in the end, 
you smack him. Smacked him in the face. And he doesn't fight you. No, he doesn't want to fight me. He's so, a good kid. So how did it all end? So like, I, there was like a manager up front, like a, like a general manager up front. And he's like, whoa. Like, not immediately, but then he heard us like having words after. They I don't, don't want you smacking the No, I don't even think he might have saw it. I don't even know if you saw it. Because I'd probably get... You were sneaky. Yeah, no, it the was like a quick smack. little smack, you know? Uh-huh. It wasn't hard. But, um... It yeah, wasn't hard. It was it was like enough to let you know that I'm there. Right. You know, but it wasn't like hard. I didn't cock back my hand or anything, you know? Open hand. Open hand. Just like, yeah. Like the, not the Will Smith, Chris Rock No, snack. no, 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 like no. half no. of that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, like half of that. It wasn't like a whack, you know? It was like a nice little, hey, I'm here. And and I guess after, I guess the manager saw me all pissed off, like, you know, talking like, Come to the you back. see, it's interesting because you're calling me Dopey Dave. I don't like it. Yeah, but Dopey I'm, Dave's. <laughs> I'm not thinking about smacking you, and it's the same thing. Yeah, but don't it's the, it's, you did get mad though. I saw. I know. It. I know. I but then, it. as I drove home, I said to myself, "Is is you know what am I getting mad about? Because he's he's testing me. Because that's like, what I said. Right. I said I said the same thing. I said, bro, like when we were cool later, I was like, bro, I don't know. Like I was like, yo, you can't do that because like I don't know what you think. Like like I won't smack you in the face like i don't know if that's what you think and he's like no i don't think that i don't think that but it's like it's not like it's more like testing me yeah because like, you like, don't want to be seen as a bozo or as someone that can be called dopey a bozo. dave exactly really it's very interesting isn't it really i see dopey dave like that that's a bad but i see i, I but it's like it's like i I wouldn't want anyone calling me a bozo, but I, it's the same thing. Mm. You know, it's interesting. But I think with you, I think you're jacked up, number one, because you're drinking. You have mm. no fucking serenity, no <laughs> program, no fucking any of that. No fucking so serenity. But, but number Say that two, you're, you're facing a serious uncertainty. An uncertainty that's so scary, you can't even say it's scary. And it's because not, if you say it's scary, it's like, it's like, do you think I'm not going to smack you across yeah, the face? Because like you need it's that. It's like I need to prove it to myself in a way. You, you know? need to be that person because you're like scared you're going to have to be that person. Yeah. And if you're not that person now, then what happens? Then what happens? It's a very true thing, man. I need to like, I need, it's like a proving to myself kind of thing. Well, listen, what we want, what I want is... A future where you don't give a shit if someone calls you a bozo. I want that too, and, man. And like, and like a place where it's like you're not fucking, like the world isn't gonna fucking snatch you and mm. kill you and hurt you. And you know what's funny? And, and if I knew I was going to jail, like knew, knew, went, like I could chuck everything in the fucking but not like go out and do drugs, but I could have punched him in the face. Not but, saying I would. But it sounds like you like this kid. I do. He's a good kid. So like, you don't want to punch him in the no, face. No, no, I don't. But. That's like another annoying thing about not fucking knowing. Cause like you now, don't feel bad because you didn't punch him in the face. If you punched him in the face or you gave him the full smack, you might feel bad I'd feel, about it. I'd now. feel bad, You yeah. don't feel bad because you gave him the little smack. Yeah. You're like, he deserved Let it. him know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let him know. <laughs> you know? But so wait, back to your point. You're saying if you knew it, what? See, I'm much older than you. I could quit my job. I could fly to fucking somewhere for a couple of days. And do what? Fentanyl. <laughs> what are you talking about? If you knew you were going to jail, just what would be different? Easier, what would man. be different? I'd be. I. I think I'd have a little more serenity. Why? Because at least I'm like not in the. Like actually no, you know what it is? I'd be. I'd be more. I'd have more conviction in my choices, no matter what they were. 
Okay, but open that up. That's a very vague statement. So, like, I can't, like, I would definitively quit my job. Why? Because I'm fucking going to jail. You're going to jail. <laughs> you need, you need me to tell you you're going to fucking jail. You're going to quit your job to do what? I don't know. Smack kids, fucking what? I don't know. Fly but someplace to do what? Just to. All that shit, the road leads back to worse. Yeah. Working, you have a little crew. The surf guy. But then, if vegan, I knew I wasn't jail. going, if I wasn't going to jail, and I knew that, that would be a lot helpful too. That would be helpful too. You see, you haven't answered my question. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about here. First question is, if you knew you were going to jail, and I want you to really take a second to think about this, what would be different right now? Because when we started, it'd probably be worse. I'd probably be, I'd probably be reckless. Reckless. And yeah. what would that look like? Initially, well, how long do I got? Like a week or, or like what? a month? Until <laughs> I go to jail. I don't know. See? I, I feel like it's any day now. Right? So it's like, so if I knew it was happening, man, it'd definitely be, it'd definitely be worse. I'd quit my job. I'd fucking, I'd be drinking a lot. You I, are drinking a lot. I'd be drinking more. You think so? Definitely. But like, I'd be going out every night. You, I'd spend, aren't you going out every night? Yes. I'd be going out every afternoon. Afternoon, yeah. too. Yep. I don't think you have any idea of what the fuck is going on. Because every time you've come on the show, <laughs> you've said, I'm going to jail. I know that's happening. And you've said, I want to get sober because I'm going to I jail. I know, but now it's and getting now real. And now you're flipping, flipping the story around. It's getting real. Yeah. I, I think you... Listen, I'm going to I'm going to offer you something. All right. It's okay to say I don't fucking know what to do. I'm going to jail. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Should I be should more Should I reckless? continue working? I mean, I I think you should fucking get as stable as possible cuz what do you need to go in there totally off balance for? Yeah. Like what good does that it's do? It's like Jay in reality, you fucking blown cocaine up some hot girl's butt. You've had sex with everybody you've ever wanted to. No. You fuck it, basically, you've shot uh, every drug there is in every situation there is. You fucking threatened a McDonald's talk box with a oh. Glock. You've done just about everything you need to you need do. To throw that one on the bucket list. Uh, yeah. You've done a lot done of stuff. Shit. My point is, the stuff you haven't done is felt proud of yourself, felt happy, like deep down, there's always like some horrible boogeyman coming to get you, yeah. you know, like, and I think you like, I don't want to sound too like, you know, Mormon you know, <laughs> to uh, whatever the word I'm like parochial. I don't know what the word I'm looking good for. Good one. What's that I, one? I don't know. I don't All know. Right, what the word good. I'm right. It's like religious. Right. I, I'm just saying like Jesus-y. There's a shit ton of people out there. Like I've never smacked anybody like, ever. I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe in jest, I've smacked somebody. I've never punched anybody. For real? I've never punched anybody. Never. Never. I've never been in a... My dad's fucking going to be 80. He's never punched anybody. Wow. Never. Does that make you lose respect for me? No, it makes me gain it. I don't know. I think so. I You're giving me a kind of weird It's look. a long time I to know. never have punched anyone, never ever. Never punched anybody. No, I never punched anybody. Um, You've gotten punched? A couple times. <laughs> a couple <laughs> times. Yeah. Um, but let's be, let's be clear. My point is... Wait, what happens when you get punched? Last time I got punched... Who would want to punch you? I think the last time I got punched... You were getting high. 
No. 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 You I were was sober. A, I was a kid. Oh, oh Last time shit. I got punched, I was like 16. Oh, that happens. On the happens. Upper East Side. That happens. At a bodega playing video games with my friends. Mm. And there was some rich kid in there. And I was like, I, I don't know what, what Said happened. Said some snarky shit? Probably. Yeah. And his brother came in. <laughs> Clobbered you? Pun- just punched me. Oh, then the shit. store guy kicks everybody out. And me and my friends are in there kind of like, how do we get out of here? Kind oh, of shit. So, like, I never, I never was in the situation. Never an adult punch in the face either. No. So you've never even done some, like, fucked up shit when you are getting high that someone came and punched you for? No, I can't think. Not no. that you remember. No. It's no. possible, though. No, I was pretty... I just stayed home and shot heroin and watched TV. <laughs> <laughs> that was, like, my... That was my drug-using experience. But... I mean, you know, I, I, as we were... I was telling Jay about how much Margaret Cho loves you. Oh, shout out to fucking Margaret, dude. Margaret Cho says she's going to replace your is she, Supreme What is she? Is she, is she, she's, she's, is she's, she's Korean? She's Korean. Shout out to Margaret Cho. Shout out to the Koreans. She's in the top 50 comedians of all time in Rolling Stone's list. Yeah, she's legit. She's major league. We saw her major. play in, in Montclair, New Jersey, and her shit was funny. She loves you. She wants to give you the Supreme That's shit. That's fucking crazy. But me and her were talking about like... like that's so hard for a Korean woman to fucking do comedy like that. I don't know. She's fucking. She's legit. She's got it. She's got it down. Because I've seen her online and I don't even go online. She's got it down. But I can't want it for you more than you want it for you. And mm. you want something for you in something the back of your head. Bigger. You just don't know where the fuck it is. Or what it is. Or how to do or it. Or how to get there. But I mean, the challenge is you just need to make a decision. Do you want to hear the voicemail where he has the. Prayer for Fentanyl J. Let's hear the prayer. It's very parochial. How's it going? My name's Ryan. I think I sent an email that you guys read a couple episodes back. But um, I just wanted to send this voicemail in to give you guys a little update on where I'm at. I'm coming up on a year here May 3rd. And I'm pretty excited for that. But uh, the real reason I'm... I'm leaving this message is to tell this story about how a couple weeks back I had to choke slam a guy at a meeting that I was at. Well, it kind of all started when we were sitting at the meeting, this guy's 10th year celebration. His whole family was there. His elderly mother was there, the whole nine. And we, we host these meetings at a junkyard where there's a big fire pit. It's like a real rustic setting. It's pretty cool. But, um, this guy who owns the junkyard lets people live there that'll come work for him. And uh, to say the least, not everyone that, that lives at the junkyard is clean and sober. And so this guy and his wife come down and they, it, it starts off real sad because his wife is comes down and interrupts the meeting and is screaming that she needs to know if this really works and that she wants help and crying and carrying on and it just so happened that a counselor from a rehab was there, a, an interventionist was at the meeting, and then another person who like has all the resources that one can imagine to get someone into rehab was there. And they all get up and try and help her, and they're trying to get her into treatment. And her husband is mumbling, and he's just out of his mind, had clearly been up for a few days, and he's getting angry. And my boss is sitting next to me, and I've seen this man before get angry. And I tell my boss, I tap him on the shoulder, I go, hey, man, keep an eye on him. And lo and behold, 15 seconds later, the, the husband jumps up, and he starts grunting and clenching his fists and getting angry. And 
me and my boss jump up and we're bigger guys, you know, uh, don't get it wrong, I'm not fucking King Kong, but, you know, we're bigger guys, and we're like, hey man, calm down, trying to talk to him like a human being, and my boss looks at him, he goes, do you want to go too, and the guy totally just lost it at that, and what my boss meant was, do you want to go to treatment, but the guy took it as, do you want to, do you want to go, and all of a sudden, I see the guy get this look in his eyes, and he starts to clench his fists and wind up, and I just jump on the guy who was a big 230 pound guy big broad shoulders welder and I jump on him and next thing you know my boss jumps on him and this guy who was an ex-marine who he's an ex-marine the most badass guy you ever meet but he's got painted fingernails mushes him in the face and we're holding him down you know and I'm talking to him and trying to calm him down and finally he calms down you know this it was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I smashed my knee on the concrete. You know, the guy's mom is crying, wondering if this happens every single time at a meeting because she's never been to one before. She's just trying to come to her son's 10-year celebration. It was pretty gnarly. And then, you know, it resumes. We're trying to get the, the wife into treatment, possibly the husband, and she decides to keep crying and carrying on. She runs up and punches her husband in the face and, Lo and behold, they didn't end up going to treatment. They went back up to their house, and that was all that. But I just had to share that, man, because it, it happened really fast, and it was definitely, my sponsor said it was one of the craziest things he's seen in 30 years. But what are you going to do, man? It kept it green for me, you know. I'm grateful to have another day sober, another day clean, you know. I'm an ex-fentanyl addict, lived and used for a couple years, you know. I used to live and lived to use, but... Shout out Fentanyl J, man. That's my fucking guy, dude. I swear to God, if I was still using and he was still using, me and him would have been best fucking friends. Because I can relate with all the shit that he used to do. But also, now, I can I can relate to all the shit that he can do if he decides to turn his life around. I keep him in my prayers every night because I really hope this shit for him goes well. You know, like, with all the court stuff just got to have faith that it'll work out the way it's supposed to, you know, but, um, yeah, man, I hope you get this, Dave, my name's Ryan, if you want to use my name, that's okay, God bless, and toodles to Chris. You got emotional, right? That's fucking crazy, Dude, huh? Jay's, like, almost sobbing on the fucking table. Shut up. I, your whole face crazy. went cold and white. Oh, my God, right? What, what, do, you, what do you have got? to say to Ryan, Jay? Big shout out to Ryan. First of all, on like another note, is it actually low and behold or lo and behold? What, what, what are the choice? What are my choices? Like lo and behold. What does that look like? Like, okay. I thought this guy was going to, what he said, I thought this guy was going to go. I said, watch out for this guy. And then lo and behold, or is it low and behold? Lo and behold. That's it. He was yeah. right. I think what, I don't hear the difference. He said lo and behold. And what do you say? Loan behold. What's the difference? Loan? No, it's not loan. Low. Low? It's like a biblical term. Low and behold. Like that. Low and behold. Low. Used to present a new scene situation. You use it perfectly. Event. Yes. But you're not. What is the meaning of Surprise. Look up, look up loan behold. There's no loan behold. <laughs> There's, no, <laughs> There's no fucking loan behold. Dude. That's just the way you heard it. That's the way I've said it. 
It sounds the same as lo and behold. He said it very separate. Lo and behold. Well, that's how you're going to have to start saying it now All if right, you want to get it right. Ryan, thank you for that lesson. Dude, also, what a good guy, huh? Huh? Sounds like a good fucking dude. Uh, he likes you. Yeah, that's if he's nice. a big boy, it would have been nice to have with me when we were getting high, <laughs> dude, because I'm a little guy, you know? <laughs> would have been fucking cool to have him with me. It would be good to have him with you now when you're out, like, dancing yeah, and fighting and patching the face. Right. Exactly. Listen, the point is. Wonder where he's from. Ryan. Where he's from? Ryan, send an email. Let us know where you're from. Yeah, he's got Uh, some accent on him. I feel like anyone else who feels like writing a message of love to Fentanyl. Oh, stop! No, it's nice. You should see your face. That was a fucking nice between Margaret Cho and and Ryan. Tell me, it's not. This is your life over here. It's fucking crazy. You're feeling that feeling. You know what's so crazy, man? It's like. I, I just fucking bro. I said it when we first started when I first did this shit. It was like A, I didn't realize the scope of fucking the shit, which I didn't. There's not okay. whatever. There's a bigger scope than I thought. I thought yeah. it was like some fucking garage yeah. band fucking it is workshop. The, it, is, <laughs> it, has, it is a garage band workshop. Anyway. You know? Yes. But bro, fucking it's crazy, dude. Like cuz I don't have social media. I don't have fucking anything. I don't have fuck. I don't lit. I mean, I don't fucking have you don't it. Listen to the show. I, 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 never, I never heard my own voice uh-huh. on my phone uh-huh. on the fucking computer right. or anything. Right. Right. I don't right. even have a computer actually. I'm just so removed from all of it. And then every time I was saying before, every time I come here, there's some shit. Someone sends in some shit. That's whether it's good or bad. It's crazy. It's fucking. Do you want to hear another one? I don't know, man. That was a fucking good one, bro. No, it's a it's it's, it's a bad one. Oh, okay, it's yeah. Like, like, Jay's like an idiot. One, I, think I like this one better. No, no, no. no. It's not, no. Big shout out to Ryan, though, yeah. dude. Huh? What a fucking yeah. good guy. Big shout out to Ryan. Congratulations. Is his year or two years? What do you say? Year. It's year. his first year. Well, and and Chris used to do a vape. The knock, miracle mile. And uh, and Jay has a vape. So. Nice. That's a vape knock for the yeah. year. Yeah, no, it's a vape knock. Yeah, it's a celebratory it's vape knock. Yeah. Like so that. fucking um, when you were on last, maybe. Two times ago, or last time, you were still sober, and you were talking about being sober, sober. And does anyone have any advice? Oh yeah. So, so this was a message we got. It's that doesn't fucking do all the, the other stuff. Yeah, without twelve step. But I think you I need. I think you need. I think you need the bullshit. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, I think so. Uh, hey now, Dave. Hey now. Just finished. Hey the, now. Just finished hey the now. episode and felt moved to type up a message for Jay. Okay. What are you singing? Yeah, what are you, you singing? know. Hey now, hey now. Did you say hey now twice? No, oh. I said hey. Now. This is what dreams are made of. I don't know that song. I think it's from Disney Channel. I don't know. I am sober, sober since November fourth, twenty nineteen, and have never attended any fellowship meetings or been through since any. Twenty fourteen. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. I've never been through any program or steps. I listen to Dopey. It's all bad and recovery in the Middle Ages every day. During the early part of my work shift. See, I was thinking about not mentioning the other podcast and just mentioning Dopey because I'm sick. Uh, okay. So we don't need to go crazy. Yeah. Uh, during the early morning part of my work shift, 4.30 to 7 a.m., and I always hear some message or piece of someone's story that sticks out for me for reflection throughout the day. The feeling of compassion and shared humanity I get from these podcasts continue to be invaluable. 
for staying sober and getting right with myself. Invaluable actually means like the most valuable. Very valuable. Yeah, yeah, right? Okay. It doesn't mean not valuable. <laughs> yeah, it's, that word's backwards. <laughs> I do all the things that Jay mentioned. Walk in nature, also hike, snowshoe for more of a physical challenge, oh. roller skating, so funny he mentioned wow. that one. I just started a year ago, mostly skate park type skating, but love to go to the roller rink with my daughters when I can. Wow. I went, I went roller skating. So did I. You did too? In Pennsylvania. Yeah, with my kids. Were you good? No. I was going to say, I wouldn't, I can't. Yeah, it's like a girl. You're like a fucking yeah, deer bad. on fucking bad. skates. You bad. know, you're on stilts. Bad. <laughs> bad. Hitting the gym. Other similar things in my life are playing tennis, reading books, writing notes to myself when I get those aha moments, playing board games with my kids, practicing guitar. She's got a nice little life. He's got a, a bunch of good shit going for him. I think it's a woman. Or Prioritizing she. one of these. Uh, every day is important. Too many days in a row without one of these happening gets me into some dark and unpleasant mental and physical spaces. Mm. I do meditate for super short five-minute periods twice a day, but wish I could get the space and create time in my life for a full hour like Myra Diaz Gomez. She was our. She was the woman who was on the show that uh, was on the cover of Playboy and uh, oh. and Huff's deodorant. Yeah, yeah. Do you, you ever huff deodorant? No. You ever huff anything? Yes. What? I've huffed uh, Duster. Uh, is that that's how? Yeah. I've, one time, me and my boy Wiz went to shout out to Wiz. It's big shout out to Wiz. I, I just Facetimed him hammered the other night. I'm he's sure he in. Loved he's that. fucked. He was in Virginia. Well, no, I can't say he's fucked. But he's uh in Virginia, and he's always been a troublemaker too. You know. Yeah. He's like, gee, I could tell he's all smoke. He's on some shit. You know. Wiz. Yeah, definitely not Wiz. Oh, Wiz. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Wiz, Wiz. Oh, that's no teeth, Wiz. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Him. Wiz could use a dentist. Yeah, his brother, the dentist. Yeah. yeah. So he. Oh, his brother lives in Virginia. Maybe that's why he's down there. I don't know, but he went down there, but I FaceTimed him because I was walking I, from the bar to my house, walked past my house, and I was feeling very nostalgic Yes, because we were passing the plate because he lives right around the corner. We'd always walk past there. So I uh -huh. FaceTimed him like three in the morning. He answers like second ring. That's bad sign. It's 3 a.m., bro. You should be sleeping, you know? Yes. And um, he's got his shirt off fucking... He's always he's like six four, but he's a really skinny guy. But he's super skinny sometimes, you know. Yes. And uh, he's like he's like Jay, blah, 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 blah. he's like no, and I'm drunk, so I'm like hyping it up, you know. I'm like ah, fucking whiz, you know. And he's like, look at this shit, and he's got an ankle monitor on down in fucking Virginia. He's right. he's up to some shit. Yeah, he's up to no yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, definitely, he's up to no good. He's like, yo, you gotta come down here. Oh god, like, that's what you'll do when you find out you're going exactly. To jail. I'll go going like, straight to whiz. Be with his ankle monitor. <laughs> See, that's what you shouldn't do. Yeah, but let me let me finish. Oh yeah, yeah I don't even know where that came. No, from. is there anything else in that story? No, I just forgot where See, we were going with it. But I would really like. And again, I apologize to anyone in the Dopey Nation who finds this to be nauseating. Oh, yeah, me and Wiz. That's right, my bad. You would like what? <laughs> I just what? remembered. What? You remember we what? went to every 7-Eleven from, it was like 2 in the morning or some shit, from Oakdale to Patchogue, every single one, like north from Sunrise to Main Street, bought every single can of whipped cream. And we're doing them in the parking lot of every 7-Eleven. Just hitting them like whipping. Yeah, yeah, just whipping them. And then by the end, he's got a picture. I don't know if he still has it. The whole front seat. How old were you? This is, I was probably 19 yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Fucking the whole front seat up to my lap 
was whipped cream bottles. covered yeah. in whipped cream Did bottles. Did you buy them or steal them? We bought them. Because you were making money. At yeah, that yeah, yeah. Definitely bought That's them. That's awesome. Yeah, so fucking shout out big to shout out to Wiz and big shout out to 7-Eleven for my cream. business. All right, let's finish this thing. I oh, Have we you ever huffed anything? Just nitrous, whipped cream. That's Have it. you ever done a popper? I've never done a popper. Never? Amyl nitrate up the nose? No, yeah. I've never done What is it? I think it's amyl nitrate. You would know that. Amyl but, nitrate. No, I never did. Did you? Yes. Where'd you get the popper? My Wiz's older brother had it. Poppers. Yeah. Like a lot of them? The little fucking... Bio, yeah, 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 big dude. for gay sex, big for gay sex. Yes. So the gay bartender at my job's got them, bro. Are you doing poppers? I, I haven't, but they're if there. You find out you're going to jail, <laughs> yeah, that's the first oh, yeah. person you're talking to. Get a popper real quick. It's like thirty second, like fucking. I bet I don't know. What does it feel like? It's like your face gets super hot, and you get this intense like rush for 30 seconds and then you get a headache does the gay bartender at work is like jay come on i'll give you a popper I make, yeah he's like he's like no he's never enticed me with it but he knows i know what they are you know is he just doing poppers while he's working i'm not sure because he's got them all the time and i know he dished him out like the other day for some people to do i'm not sure if that's amyl nitrate amyl i know in the 60s there's do you ever see the movie the doors no. Okay. The Doors is about the band, The Doors. The band. And there's a scene where Jim Morrison is in an elevator and someone does a popper under his nose and then he gets a blowjob at the same time. And I'm pretty sure that's yeah, Animal Nitro. I think it's good for sex. All right. Good. Um, all right. So I also use that tool in the midst of hard moments, like something or someone is triggering my descent into character defects or old habits of mind. And I remind myself that all I have to do is breathe. Usually... That can open some space to look outside of myself and how I'm feeling, and I can get a little shift going. At least I know I will be able to just let the moment pass. Or I use that opportunity to pause and drink some water. Sometimes those are the moments when the thing I heard someone share in the podcast earlier comes in handy, handy, as in refocusing or tool for understanding. I guess for me, it's two things. Keeping it moving with positive habits and untying the knots of trauma, addiction, unhealthy behavior with mm. reflection and compassion. And then it's just time. The more time I live past the last time I used drugs and alcohol, mm. the more feeling of choice I have to not do that again. So my message to Jay is to keep going. That's too late. I should have given you this message months ago. Yeah. Uh, but she sounds very self-aware, this girl. It sounds like you know what your things are. And who you can trust to be real and supportive. Practice being real with yourself. Staying with it when it's uncomfortable. It's mm. like a muscle that gets stronger the more you exercise it. Mm. It's not easy, but there's a bunch of other humans out here who are working on it too. In community, Dre. In community. That's her That's her goodbye. Dre. In community. I'm, what is that? It means like she's part of the thing. She's in, oh, in, the, in our community. In our community. Yeah. Oh, Dre. sick. I'm going to start signing shit like that. Now listen. So basically, I need to write a big list Well, everything I like to do. I think that would be good. I think, you know, I don't have people. We don't. We tend not to have people on the show who are using. Mm. You are the exception now. Oh, man. Congratulations. Oh, I don't want a congratulations but for that one. I want you to consider the point. Yeah. Okay? We'll leave it at that. I'm hoping you don't go to jail. Me too. And I'm hoping... That if you don't go to jail, we come up with a plan. I have a lot of good ideas for you. You're a smart guy. A lot of good ideas. And then if you do go to jail, you cannot go see Wiz in Virginia. Yeah. You cannot do anything stupid to topple this thing that's already toppled. Correct? Agree? Correct. All right. So 
Dopey Nation. Please send in an email uh, about Jay. I mean, you got a lot of fucking emails around uh, around uh, that cop thing. Oh, man. That was bad. It was bad. I would like to put those videos on Patreon. Oh, fuck. That's what I would like to do. <laughs> Jay sent me the videos of him dealing with the cops that time at the 7-Eleven with the guy. What's the guy's good. name again? The clerk? Uh, Binda. Uh, Binda. Yeah. Anyway, so send in an email or a voicemail. Uh, hopefully Jay isn't going away anytime soon, uh, but you never know. And if I do know, uh, maybe I'll be sober next time. What is that? But maybe I won't be. I don't what, know. What are you saying? I'm saying you that, do the show. You're like, I want to be sober. But if I know the answers, maybe I'll either be worse or better. You know, listen, I'm pretty sure I'll be the same until I know an answer. The, the word will come down. We don't know if he should call his lawyer or not. So if anyone has any experience in that, whether you have sentencing a year out and it's a year and you don't hear anything, what is Jay supposed to do? Send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Jay, thank you. And uh, this has been the New Orleans fucking thing. We're going to the Dopey Fitness Challenge right now with Doug Bopes. Oh, He's shit. He's next. And, and he, 15 years ago, went to jail. He got busted like selling weed and had oxys in the car and nice. whatever whatever so dopey fitness challenge is next jay you know how much i love you i don't need to say it on the I show i love you all right i love you too say it anyway yeah, yeah goodbye say it. <laughs> goodbye <laughs>All right, so we have on the phone friend of the show, friend of mine, Doug Bobst from the Adversity Advantage, author, fitness guy, fucking person in recovery, and I don't know if you guys knew this, but Friday is Cinco de Mayo, and I'm sure everybody out there has their own Cinco de Mayo story, and if you have a good one, send it in to dopeypodcast at gmail.com and you can get some socks, but Doug has a very, very, very important anniversary am i right doug you are right man and thanks for having me on i mean 15 years ago today um or cinco de mayo or whenever we're recording this um i experienced one of the greatest setbacks in my life that ended up becoming my my greatest blessing and so 15 years ago cinco de mayo 2008 i was riding around with a few of my friends to make a drug deal i had a half a pound of pot in my uh, trunk, I had a couple thousand dollars in cash in the glove box, and I also had a busted headlight that I had been meaning to fix for months. But of course, like I'm in the depths of, of opiate addiction at this time. I'm selling drugs. I'm in that lifestyle, and as we all know, like when you're immersed in that, you don't care about anything else that doesn't involve that. And so, cop was running radar, and as I see this cop running radar, I flash my high beams at him to hide the fact that I had a busted headlight. But in reality, it just gave him a reason to pull me over because he's like, why is this you know, moron flashing his high beams at me? I see the lights go on. The heart, my heart sit, uh, sinks into to the, to the pit of my stomach. My heart's racing. My mind is racing. In that moment, I thought my life was over because the cop ends up pulling me over, comes up to the car. I stumble to get my license and registration out to give to him. He suspects um, mischievous activity going on, which rightfully so. And so one thing leads to the next. Um, he ends up pulling me out of the car and searching it, and he finds everything. He finds a half a pound of pot. He finds the money. He finds a scale. Um, and I remember being put in handcuffs 
and just thinking to myself, man, like my life is over. Like any dreams that I had thought I had are gone. My relationships are all going to suck. I'm going to be a complete failure. I'm worthless. Like all of the negative thoughts that we've, we experienced when we're going through something like that, like went through my head. But then a lot of it was also like, how did I get here? Because I think sometimes is, I mean, I think actually like most, if not all cases, like nobody wants to be addicted to drugs, right? And you ask yourself, like, how did you get to this place where you're this good kid who was kind and wanted the best for himself, wanted the best for other people, had goals and had values and stuff? How did this kid go from that to now being in in the back of a cop car facing felony drug charges? And a lot of it, came back as I look now and like I'm able to reflect back a lot of it came from my inability to deal with stress my inability to self-soothe and um deal with hold up hold up hold up. hold up is this what you're thinking when he busts you what are you thinking when he but you're not thinking all this good highfalutin stuff you're just thinking I'm fucked right I'm thinking I'm fucked but I'm also like how the fuck did I get here right, right. it's all also like Like how did, like what happened? Because I think when you're on this trajectory and you're just like running and gunning and you like think you're on top of the world and you think that you're never going to get caught, like you're not thinking about like, how did I get here or why am I like this? Aha moment doesn't really happen until you like hit that wall and you get caught. So when I got caught, I'm like scared and all the thoughts are going through my mind, all the emotions. I was sad. I was obviously scared. Like I'm like, all right, shit, I'm definitely freaking going to jail. Uh, Cause I was busted in a County that was very strict on stuff like that. But I also was like doing some reflection and being like, man, like how did I get here? You know, like, like why am I here? And why am I facing this incredible painful moment in my life? And then I ended up getting booked into the, into jail that night. The Harford County detention center is where I went and I was um, charged with a felony possession with intent to distribute marijuana and I thought I was going to definitely go to jail, given the fact that, again, that that county was a harsh county when it came to drugs and alcohol. And then also because it was a, it was a felony. And so I ended up like getting bailed out of jail the next day by my, by my dad, which was kind of awkward because him and I had a pretty um, tense relationship growing up. And then talked to a lawyer and the lawyer's like, you know, you're definitely going to serve some time. You better get your shit together. You better stop doing drugs. You better get on a straightened path so you can prove to the judge that you're actually like looking to change your life. And of course, like now I had even more problems to deal with, more insecurities, more pain, more fear that I needed to escape from. So I just kept on the debaucherous path that I was already on. Fast forward, end up going to court September 30th, 2008. And the judge, in my mind, threw the book at me because he convicted me of the felony, which was possession with intent to distribute um, marijuana, and then um, sentenced me to, to five years in jail, but suspended everything but 90 days, meaning if I had messed up at all on my probation or if I caught on a charge, if I did anything against the rules, I could have potentially gone back and served the full five years um, gave me five years probation, 200 hours community service, all kinds of fines and drug classes. But he looked at me. He's like, Doug, you're young. You're 20 years old. He's like, this felony conviction is going to haunt you for the rest of your life. Because this is back in 2008. I mean, marijuana was pretty demonized back then. Totally. And so, you know, he's like, dude, this is going to really mess you up for the rest of your life. He's like, I'm going to give you a deal. And I'm like, deal? 
I'm like, where's the deal? Like, I'm going to jail. I'm on five years of probation. I got 200 hours community service. I'm just going to be like having a full-time job. Like, where's the deal? He's like, if you complete everything without messing up, no missed probation appointments, um, no failed drug tests, you do community service, you serve your time, you do everything that I ask you, at the end of your five years of probation, I will take the felony conviction off your record and give you probation before judgment. Which is, a great, time, which is a great deal. Great deal. But at the time, I was like, does this even really matter? Because you know, I'd gotten high before I went to court. I was high in court. I was going to get high again when I left. I was like, there's no way I'm going to even make it to see my 25th birthday because, first of all, at the time – you know, I'd already been to several people who I spent, who I hung out with on a regular basis, their funerals for substance related deaths. And then it was all like my friends and I would often joke and I'm Dave, I don't know if you can relate to this, that like, if you can't get high and get fucked up all the time and party like you could, like, what's the point of living? And so I was like, man, like whatever, it sounds like a good deal, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it anyway, but I have no other choice but to take it. And then the judge gives me a few weeks to gather my stuff get like things situated before i report to jail and i reported to jail a week after my 21st birthday a little over a week it was eight days it's october 21st 2008 and as i walked through the the doors of the detention center i obviously had all kinds of emotions going through my head fear anger sadness resentment the whole nine yards plus I'm, i was 50 pounds heavier than i am now and if you knew me back then i was the kid who was afraid to fight not good at sports, unconfident, low self-esteem. So I'm like every possible like fear that you would have about what could happen to me in jail was definitely going through my mind on top of everything else. Did you get into a bunch of fights? Not in, not in jail. I mean, or as a kid, you mean? No, no, no. Cause you said you were afraid to fight. Uh, did you wind up becoming like somebody who mixes it up a lot? No, 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 I say that because, you know, you hear about people getting into fights in jail. You hear about people getting picked on. And I was like, well, I'm definitely going to be right. the kid right. who gets picked on. Because, I mean, as a kid, I mean, there would be times where I would, like, start fights or I would say something or there'd be something would go down. Um, and because, you know, my, my friend group and then also um, just a lot of people like me because I was selling drugs, I would have people fight for me, you know, and I would, like, hide, which is it's kind of um funny to look at now but it was it was highly embarrassed because i was like why can't i fight my own fights but that was just also a reflection of where i was at with every other part of my life i couldn't fight my own fights in life in my relationships with my mental health i had to use something else to do it for me you know obviously with, with drugs and so i get into jail and the first thing i had to do was detox cold turkey from oxycontin which i mean i'm sure many people listening to this know what that's like it's like having the worst case of the the flu for like weeks because my, my oxy habit before I went to jail was, you know, snorting hundreds of milligrams every single day. And to the point where half my left nostril was missing, I didn't have a bowel movement for about a month. So that's how bad my, my addiction was in jail. You didn't, you didn't take a shit for the first month. No, no, before I went, it was okay. like, it was when you were, when you were deep in, I went. when you were deep in your addiction, I get it. Yeah. 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 Just to describe how bad it was. Um, so I, so I start detoxing and my soon to be cellmate, um, Eric, who looked like a more jacked version of Brad Pitt from Fight Club was sitting there playing Scrabble and he looked at me and he could just tell that I was unconfident, that there was like just something off, you know, with me as far as my mental health. He could just tell that I needed some help and some guidance. He's like, 
he's like, what are you doing in here, man? I just said I was in there for, for a drug, felony drug charge. He's like, okay. He's like, you're going to start working out with me when you get through your detox. And I was like, no way, man. Like, have you seen me? Like at the time I could have been a model for Pillsbury. He's like, all right, man, whatever. And then not too long after that, I see this dude like just work out in the common area of the jail and doing all kinds of push-ups and pull-ups and running and doing all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I've been a trainer now for 12 years and he's still like one of the fittest person, one of the fittest people I've ever come across. Let me ask you this. You do, you do a show called, uh, the adversity advantage. And I, I mean, I still have, I lost an apartment, like a cheap apartment when I was 25 and got sent to rehab. And still, when I walk past that building, I have little pangs of regret, even though I know that if I had kept it, I wouldn't have my family right now, probably. Like, it's a different lifestyle. A whole different life happened because that happened. You know what I mean? Like, cause and effect, the way our choices impact our destiny and stuff. Do you ever have regret about the bust, ever? Yeah, I mean, not specifically the bust, but stuff like leading up to it, because throughout my addiction process, as we know what happens is it creates tension in your relationships with your parents and your family. Right. And my mom and I, like I got kicked out of her house on my 16th birthday and I haven't lived with her since. And it was a very, um, it was a, a very emotionally intense like departure from her house. Like I was incredibly angry, resentful. And I said things to my mom that any mom would never want to hear from her kid. What's the worst thing you said to your mom? You think that I hope that she died and stuff like that. Like it was just, how do you get along with her now? Well, so now our relationship is great. It's better than it's ever been. I I helped walk her down the aisle when she got remarried a few years ago. But I, when I share this, like during my teenage years, I, I didn't really have a relationship, much of a relationship with my mom because once my parents were divorced and when I got kicked out of her house, I went to go live with my dad full time. And my dad and I, as I described earlier, didn't have the best relationship growing up. And so I felt it was like a big slap in the face to me. And then I developed much more, a lot more resentment. Plus, like I mean, abandonment issues and stuff, obviously, from that. And during the time, I feel like when I was meant to develop a deep emotional relationship and connection with my mom, I didn't because of my behaviors and my addictions and, and everything else. And so looking back now, I think that that's, that's definitely impacted me long term. It's not that I, I still have anger or resentment towards her, but I, I don't have the same like emotional connection that my brothers have because they right. were they still live with her, right? And I, so I regret like that part of it because um, that's just something that I know will – probably stay with me the rest of my life. I mean, it's not like I cry about it now or anything, but if, if people ask me if I regret stuff, I mean, sure. I mean, I wish I would have been able to have that relationship with my mom because, you know, I, I ended up changing high schools within 24 hours, ended up getting kicked out of her house and that created a lot of stress and everything on her. And again, I wouldn't be where I am today without all that. But I mean, it took me years, years to rebuild trust in that relationship with my mom. Years of just, you know, eating it and like eating, you know, taking it to the chin and and not, you know, really having much of a relationship with her despite me doing well at times, like early on in my recovery. And that really taught me though, that the only thing they say in like 12 step, right. You got to control your side of the street. Like it taught me that right. Very early on that 
I can't control whether or not my mom wants to you know, have a deeper relationship with me or trust me or whatever. I can only control what I do, but I know that if I try to convince her and get mad at her and manipulate her to trust me and like, and, you know, act like she you know, cared or whatever it was I was trying to get from her, but that would push her further away. And then that was more more of an an addictive tendency. And that's the one thing I tell people now who are like, you know, either on the verge of getting sober or in early sobriety or recovery is that, you know, don't expect any pats on the back from your, from your family when you get sober, you know, and not to say that you shouldn't be proud of yourself because you should. But one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is after breaking their family's trust for like a decade, they expect them to rebuild trust with their family within like the first few days because they're getting sober. It's just not how it works. It takes time. It takes a lot of time. Totally. Totally. Um, now, you know? so 15 years since the bust, do you have any regret about the bust or do you now just see it as an opportunity for the rest of your life? I honestly see it as an opportunity for the rest of my life because like when I went to jail, I was unconfident, had low self-esteem didn't really have the best, I would say like social skills, I guess, as far as like discernment and who to spend time with and how to build like deep, you know, meaningful relationships and stuff like that. And and even like purpose and meaning in life, like all those things came to me as a result of being in jail, which is crazy. I mean, my cellmate ended up convincing me to get into fitness and him getting me into fitness and training me into in, in jail saved my life. Being able to do a set of 10 pushups and run a mile by the time my sentence was over saved my life. And it gave me meaning and purpose. And it, it found, or it taught me that, um, you know, that the comeback can be greater than the setback. I mean, and as hard as it is sometimes to swallow when you're in the thick of it, there's no other way to process it. There's none. I mean, you, if you harp on the fact that your life's over and whatever choice you make is going to define you for the rest of your life, then it will. And it's going to be really sad that, you didn't, you know, just turn the page and just give yourself like one more shot to become that person that you could have been. So no, I really don't have any regrets about the arrest specifically because it definitely shaped me into who I am. The only real regret I have is the relationship with my mom. Well, and you can work on that now, but this is a great transition into the dopey fitness challenge. And I don't know where you guys in the dopey nation are at in your dopey fitness challenge. I know where I am and I didn't have a scale. I bought a scale, but I think my wife hit it or broke it or threw it away. I don't know what happened to the scale. I think I lost 10 pounds in the beginning of the dopey fitness challenge, cutting out sugar, cutting out carbs, doing the 10,000 plus steps a day. I injured my foot. I healed it up. I've been going bananas, but then I went to new Orleans and in new Orleans, you know, the food is very rich and I ate shrimp and grits and I ate the crawfish brains and I ate fucking the, the fried oyster po' boy because I couldn't be totally dieting in New Orleans. You know what I'm saying, Doug? Yeah, man. I mean, first of all, I'm proud of you for um, taking that, that initiative and those steps to, to kind of improve your health and your fitness. And I think you made great progress and I think the other thing that's really cool too is that you acknowledge that this is an important concept too, that when you go away and you're going to a place that has some sort of like sentimental value for like their cuisine and their food in that you don't like try to be a hundred percent perfect 
or obsess about like what you eat. Cause I think it's important to still be able to enjoy yourself at times with stuff like that. Like you mentioned some of the stuff you ate. I've been buying these horrible diet chocolate pops. I think I bought enlightened bars and I had them in the fridge in the Airbnb. And every night I ate one while I watched Seinfeld, which was a great step for me. That's serious business. My water drinking hasn't been great. What is phase two of the Dopey Nation Fitness Challenge for any dopes who are participating out there in the doposphere? So I think like a great next step, you know, we talked about walking, we talked about water. Um, we talked about, I don't know if we covered protein. Yes, we, co- we did. The- we covered protein. I've been, you know what I've been doing? I've been fucking grilling up chicken breasts in the air fryer. Nicely. Nicely. I just did uh, five drumsticks just before this call in the air fryer. The, the, the air fryer is my new favorite thing, by the way. But back, back to protein. Well, you'll hear a lot of like the experts say is you want to try to get like close to like one gram per pound of body weight or target body weight if you're trying to lose weight. So if you weigh, as an easy example, if you weigh 150 pounds, like you should try to get 150 grams of protein in that. And so like an egg has like roughly, depending on the size of the egg, I think it has like five to seven grams of protein. Like a four ounce chicken breast is like 20 to 25 grams That's of protein. That's a lot of protein. Like that. That's a lot of protein. How do you get that much protein? Well, what I was going to say is that there's plenty of protein also in um, like vegetables and different starches and potatoes. Like it all adds up. And I'm not saying that, you know, a potato is loaded with protein, but, I, you know, stuff like stuff like that has some to where over the course of the day, if you're eating, you know, like three to five servings of vegetables, you're eating some starch, whatever that looks like, whether that's rice, whether that's potatoes, whether that's beans, whatever it is, like all that counts towards your total protein. You know, some people do protein shakes. Some people have snacks where it could be like a Greek yogurt. Some people it's like adding in those extra egg whites in the morning, whatever it is, there's ways to get creative around that. I mean, I think the easiest way to understand how much you're getting is to use a tracker. Um, if you're, if you're somebody who like wants to take this to the next level, something like, my fitness pal, I think is a great starter. Um, what do you so, think about all again, these apps? Like on my Instagram, they are Facebook. They, they constantly have these ads for like my lazy workout. And it has all these like drawings of workouts. I, do they go, do they pop up on yours? It, I never stop seeing these things like 30 seconds of this and 30 seconds of that. And they want, it's like 50 cents a day. Do you know about this stuff? No, I haven't seen those things, but Why I do, do think that... Why do they show me? How do they know I'm all fat? How do they know, Doug? Probably, it's probably from your search history. I'm not searching fitness stuff. Are you? I'm, I'm not. I think they listen no. to me talk on the phone. I think they're listening <laughs> to me. I think they probably. hear me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so we get the MyFitnessPal app, and we track the food, and that's next level. And how important is water? Because my water drinking has not been that good. Um... I tell people to always keep like a bottle of water around them or like a jug, you know, obviously if you're trying to just be more cost effective or environment friendly. How much water do you drink? I I mean, I I would love to say that I'm this perfect, you know, um, picture of health every single day. I'm not, I mean, my goal with though is always to get like minimum of like 80 to a hundred ounces a day. So that's like at least half my body weight in fluid ounces, if not more. Like a little bit more. But what about all of the urinating that gets done? 
It's like I'm constantly pissing when I drink that much water. It never stops. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just unfortunately that's part of the the fitness part of the thing. Process. That's the filtration. But I would also like a thing if like it's just if you're somebody that's like you know what I know I need to work on this, but I just haven't found the the, the way to do it. I would just set an alarm. It'd be like water. So water, how often? Water. How often would you suggest we should be drinking water? You know, four or five times a day or something. I think depending on your body weight, of course, um, you'd be in really good shape. Um, like I said, using the 150 pound example, um, if you drink 20 ounces of water four times, there's 80 ounces and that's your, that's your water intake. Now I do think that you also will get some water if you eat vegetables and fruits and it's hard to count that. It's hard to know like how much is in that. So I typically would just, you know, think of that as like a bonus, but it's kind of like anything else. And the reason I say to track, whether it's using my fitness pal, whether it's like your old school and you want to just write down a diary of things that you ate throughout the day and maybe use like Google or something like that to search what the calorie um, content is of this is that in order to know where you're going, you got to know where you're at. Right. And you can't change something that that's not measured. So that's why when people are like, I need to eat better. Like, what does that mean? Like eat better than what, like, what are you eating right now? And so one of the, the, the things I'll often do with my, my training clients is I'll have them do a three day dietary recall where I will have them, um, take out a piece of paper, use their note, the note section on their phone, and just write down everything they ate. And I'm always like, listen, I'm not going to judge you. I don't care if it's McDonald's. I don't care if it's a cheesesteak. I don't care if it's pizza. Like, I just want to know what you're eating. So that way people can start to understand, A, what it is they're eating, the time of day that they're, they're eating, eating certain things. Very interesting. Okay, so maybe this is phase two. Phase two of right. the Dopey Nation Fitness Challenge Write down what you're eating for the next two days. Drink 20 ounces of water every hour. Fucking 10,000 steps or more. What else do we throw in there, Doug? Well, 20 ounces of water, you know, throughout the day, depending on your body weight, I think every hour would be a lot. Too much. Um, for most people. So we'll yeah. say we'll say um, 100 ounces we'll go for. Or, or, or 10, per, what is it, 10% of your body weight? What did you say it was? Half your body weight in ounces? Half Half your body weight in fluid ounces. Okay, so half your body weight in fluid ounces. And what else? What else do we want to throw at him? Like eight to 10,000 steps. Yes. And just being more mindful of, of what you're doing throughout the day. I think that's a big thing. It's like paying attention to your schedule and saying, like, how much time am I spending sitting? How much time am I, am I walking? Am I, how much activity am I getting? Like, and it doesn't have to be going to the gym and, and doing an hour workout. It could be you know, playing outside with your kids. It could be playing basketball with friends. I mean, it's just, it's just the point is just to find activities throughout the course of your week that you enjoy doing and that you can stick to and that are in line with your goals and your, your, your fitness level. And I think the other thing, the last thing I'll say about tracking your food, which I think is really important because I know that a lot of people have a hard time with this is understanding like why you eat certain foods at certain times. Like a lot of people, they, they emotionally eat. See, I had gotten to a place where I was not over deserting. And then when I came home from New Orleans, I went to fucking town. Like my family had a beautiful dinner for me. We ate dinner together. It was really nice. And then I was like, let's get ice cream. And we went to Friendly's. We got ice cream. And then I started eating graham crackers, peanut butter, chocolate chips. I like spread peanut butter on the graham cracker and I poured chocolate chips on it, which I definitely recommend to anyone who's not participating in the Dopey Fitness Challenge. And that was my one relapse since, basically since we started. 
Like I've been really good, like not doing that. And I went to town that first night. And then last night I ate two of these diet ice cream bars. But I know that like I'm like the kind of addict that I can't, it's very hard for me to do just a little bit. I think I can do one bar though. I did that in New Orleans and that was manageable. What do you think about that? Well, I think there's a lot to, to unpack there. I think like you going out with your family and going to friendlies and stuff, I think that's obviously normal. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Is, there, is it I, normal I to eat your own ice cream and then finish the rest of your family's ice cream? And I mean all of them. They all left at least a quarter of their ice cream and I ate all of it. Not a bit of ice cream remained at the end because of me. So what, so what was your like stress levels and mood like like last night? Were you like feeling like pretty even keel or stressed La- the, the friendlies night or last night the friendlies uh, night was, was was two nights ago i was just happy to be home and i figured if i was going to do it i was going to do it hardcore i swear to god with eating ice cream it's like smoking cigarettes i don't want to ever stop i just want to constantly be eating or constantly be smoking uh so that's how i felt that night and i didn't feel badly about it last night i felt badly because I, I've been doing so good, and 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 I really I was like I had that I literally had that thing like fuck it I'm ready to hit the graham crackers I'm ready to hit the animal crackers and I didn't I just had the two bars but like I don't know I I was I guess I was tired and I, I didn't have much stress though I was I was mostly chilling. Well, remember what we talked about in the first uh, dopey fitness challenge uh, episode where. I said, you got to change like the language in which how you speak to yourself about stuff like this. And I remember, like I said, that talking to yourself negatively and shaming yourself can be really instrumental for certain, for certain people at certain times. But I think once you're able to like make that shift in, in doing this as a way of bettering yourself and loving a way of self care and self love and all that, I think it helps you during times like that, because then you begin to shame yourself and you're like, why are you doing this you piece of crap? I don't know what was going through your mind, but I would imagine it was something like that. It wasn't um, that deep. It was more like I was disappointed, but I was like, tomorrow I'll try again. Do you think in the dopey fitness challenge, there's room for any dessert? I think for the most part, I would say, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you don't want to be too restrictive in your life with, with that kind of stuff because you'll end up driving yourself crazy. Right. And, and if you, and if, having, you, if yeah. you get into it long term you get to your goal. It just takes time. It can't just be rushed. Like I want it all to happen at once. You know what I mean? And and then go back to eating everything I want at once. But a, but a better trajectory is a little bit at a time, you know, change your habits so that they're life, lifelong habits and not just, I want to lose 20 pounds in a month or something. Right. I mean, if you're trying to like compete in a bodybuilding or some sort of like physique show or something like Did that. Did you then- know that I was trying to compete in a physique show in july that i'm signing up to be in the physique show no you're not are you really no of course not are you crazy but that would be funny that would be that would be a funny goal no i'm not signing up to be in the physique show i would lose i would I be mean, I, i'd be more of the freak show than the physique show but uh what were you saying like you said you have to look at it from a like a long-term point of view and you can't expect um, to just see these insane results and to change your habits like overnight, it's just not going to be possible. So I think it's always best to just look at it as a, a long-term play and, um, and know that like if you're in it for the rest of your life, then there's going to be some room for you to have like a piece of chocolate or, 
piece of cake here and there and, and you know you're you're going to be able to fit that in um it's kind of like you know if you have a a budget right if you're somebody that like you know overeats at breakfast lunch and dinner and doesn't exercise as much well your food budget's going to be a little bit smaller right it's kind of you know if you had if you were somebody who made a million dollars a year but you're spending nine hundred thousand dollars a year on stuff i mean you're not gonna, you might not be able to afford that like beach home or whatever so you just have to pay attention to what you're doing your activity level and that's why i think tracking it is a great next step so people can begin to understand what it is they're doing and eating when they're doing it and why they're doing it and being able to go from there all right so next step drink more water walk the ten thousand and track your food. That's the next step. And I want to see people posting in their Instagram stories of this stuff. What are you doing for the Dopey Fitness Challenge? Doug, thank you very, very much for coming on and, and helping us out. I'm committed. I'm still committed. I'm on my path. I'm about to drink a huge bottle of water. I'm about to write down everything I've eaten today. I'm not going to write down all of my mistakes of the other day. Although, if you are interested in not getting in shape, I think a graham cracker with peanut butter on it and pouring chocolate chips on it is next level because the chips stick to the peanut butter and you create this, uh, I don't know, it's a very unhealthy snack. Uh, I would like everyone to get in shape with me and Doug. Be like us. You can compete in the physique show. And congratulations on the 15-year anniversary on changing your life for the worse and then for the better. And thank you again. I appreciate you coming through. Thanks, man. You got it. I appreciate you having me on and um, for the kind words. And um, for those listening, yeah, I invite you to, to take the challenge. I mean, I, I guarantee you if you just focus on trying to better yourself like one step at a time, one day at a time, you'll definitely feel better. Right on. And look for Doug's episode coming soon. And stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Toodles. What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious, and it's just gotten me through some really hard times. And Though I'm not clean myself, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, I really like Dave's song, and I'm going to do a little cover of it here on my banjo. Hope y'all don't mind too much. I wrote a uh, third verse myself. Sorry about the poor quality. It's just on my phone. And, uh, sorry about the banjos. Things hard to keep in tune. So bad.
bad so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had In a burned out basement listening to the dopey show Home friends I had her on this little radio I keep checking on my pulse because it feels like I might die But the thought straightening up sounds so much better when you're high And I wanna be good so bad I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had y'all hear this makes it through the uh, big inbox emails feel free to play a clip on the show if you want I, if not I know it kind of sucks all right uh really appreciate it thanks y'all